Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? Welcome to WGN Radio Theater. Special three-hour presentation. And your hosts, Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, it's nine minutes after 11 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater. To my right, the vivacious Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl, what's up? Program 454 is what's up. We're uh, starting one hour late, but we yeah. still have four great hours of classic radio tonight. Yes, Shante Garth, our producer in the booth. We have a full house. It's a full house here. And I'm not talking about the TV show, Full House. Oh, I thought you were. No, uh, John Stamos is not here. Darn Sorry. It. <laughs> Sorry, Lisa. So. Oh, darn it. I'm oh. leaving then. <laughs> He's this, married now. I know. So sad. Nah, what are you going to do? Right. You're married too, so don't worry about <laughs> Whatever. it. Whatever. In this hour, our Miss Brooks, hour two will have the Whistler, hour three, Escape, hour four, the Falcon. Uh, all of it brought to you in part by Cat's Pride. And we have the CEO of Cat's Pride's uh, parent company, Oil Dry. Dan Jaffe is here, along with Dave Weiske. Dave is the VP of Customer Success. Let's say hello to both of those guys. Hi, guys. Hi, Carl. Hi, Lisa. Hi, we've missed you. It's been a while. Lisa, yeah. Carl, hope you're doing well. I am, unfortunately, in my Green Bay Packer gear, we which won't, we won't make it We tomorrow, won't hold it against you. Don't worry. It's the woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. They are going to give away, Lisa, two uh, years' supply of Cat's Pride Kitty Litter to uh, two lucky winners. That's right. Well, we've been listeners. getting a lot of pictures, and so we're excited to have our drawing. Yeah. And you know what? They brought in a lovely lady by the name of Jennifer McCartney. And Jennifer, hi, Jennifer. How are you? Hey, good evening. And we have Mike Costellas here as well, our producer. What's hey, up, Mike? how's it going? I'm good. And Jennifer has two cats. And they did an independent study with her cats in Cat's Pride and a uh, competing brand, Tidy Cat, right? <laughs> this is true. And uh, true we're going to talk, let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about what happened, what happened to the cats. You had Cat's Pride and Tidy Cat next to each other, and what did the cats do? So I'll tee up the test, and then Jennifer can tell us what happened. Right. But, you know, whenever you switch someone's cat litter, whether it's from a good one to a bad one or a bad one to a good one, cats are persnickety, and yeah. you've got to be careful. Sometimes you need to blend it. Sometimes you need to immerse them slowly. Fortunately, Jennifer's setup was she had three trays, so I told her to leave two of them with tidy cats and just put cat's pride in the one and see what happens in case they reject it. I didn't want to have to come over and clean up any mess. <laughs> so, Jennifer, you take it from there. Well, thanks, Dan. Um, that's true. I do have three cats, well, two cats and three boxes, and actually I only had two boxes, but I added a third. Okay. And um and I used to use that other brand, and then I thought, well, I'll try this Cat's Pride. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, so I did exactly that because I didn't want to just, you know, do without what they were used to because I didn't want any accidents in my house because that's not fun. And sure enough, uh, I went down. This is down in my basement. I have a two-story house. And I go down, and I look at the boxes, and I'm like, holy moly. One box has nothing in it, and that was one of the older, um, that other brand. And then the Cat's Pride one was full, and then the other one had a little bit. So anyway, but then, you know, fast forward two more days, and all they're using is Cat's Pride. It's crazy. Wow. Outstanding. And, awesome. uh, and this, and you didn't I couldn't even, make that up. 
And That's this, true. and so, and, and they didn't get any. There was no reward, no treats. It wasn't like Pavlov's dogs, nothing like that. No. All of a sudden, cats they're just using the cats. No, they, these are smart using cats. the cats' pride. Well, good. you should yeah. probably tell us why cats' pride would be our choice for litter, besides the fact that the kitties loved it. Well. well you want you go for it? I, I don't know. The jugs are cool. They're, <laughs> they're cool. They, they're green. <laughs> I love that color too. It's really bright. It pops and um, makes you kind of happy when you put it in your cart at the grocery store. And um, why else? I don't know. Like it was something different. I'd never tried it before, so it was kind of fun. So from my vantage point, obviously cats are very smart and very discerning. And they were tired of having to go on the quote-unquote market leader, but only until all the WGN listeners continued to switch. And we are the fastest-growing cattler in America, thanks to WGN and, and all of our partners. And it's the low dust, it's the low tracking, it's the clumping. Uh, some are scented, some are unfragranced, and depending on what your cat likes and what you want, you can get either one. We have both flavors. Uh, Dave, what am I missing? Well... Talk about lightweight, and that is the big key as far as carrying it out. So it's typically our our competition is 20 pounds, and we're 10 pounds. So you're basically carrying it for 10 pounds. And you get the little, same amount of... Uh, the same of, volume, yeah. which is outstanding. Yeah. So I'm glad that Carol Merrill showed door number three. That's right. <laughs> and I've, I've said this a million times, and the listeners who have cats know this, but consumers use it by volume. They don't use it by weight. So, Jennifer, I'm assuming you didn't take the tray and put it on a scale and weigh in. No, I did not do that. <laughs> Instead, you probably filled to a certain height. Well, just until like half a jug, because these are big trays. They're Yeah. Yeah, so a volume. So our jug is the exact same size as the other guys True. only theirs weighs 20 pounds and ours weighs 10 and by the way those of you who are environmentally conscious which yep. should hopefully be everybody we can put twice as many units on a truck as the other guys meaning we've cut the carbon footprint in half significantly yeah. and we've taken thousands of truckloads off the road inside of a year. It's phenomenal. Now, there are so many reasons to switch uh, over to Cat's Pride. Uh, we just talked about a few of them. Here's another one. They're our main sponsor here on the WGN Radio Theater. Dan Jaffe, his company, everyone that works for him, they are uh, behind this radio show, and they've been on the air with us from day one. They bring you this show, and uh, we want to thank them. They also give away... Uh, a year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter each and every month. And since they weren't here last month, they're going to give away two this month, right, Dan? That's right. And I can't right. tell you how many people text in on the text in line telling me that they've switched over to Cat's Pride after hearing our great radio show and our great promotion for Cat's Pride. And everybody seems so very, very happy with the product. Yep, we love it. Thank you, Dan. We appreciate you. No, thank you guys, and we appreciate it. And believe it or not, Jennifer's never heard old-time radio. I know. What? I'm but, so excited. So I'm going to start her oh, on the wow. first show that caught you and me way back when with Chuck Shaden and mm -hmm. those were the days, which is on a country road with Cary Grant. That's right. Suspense. Oh, will you hear that? You're going to love it, Jennifer. I'm so excited. All right, so let's, uh, let's pick uh, two winners, right? Dan's going to pick one, and Dave's going to pick one. Is that how we're going to do it? That's right. That's right. All right. Let's go. Drum roll, please. All right. And the first one? I've picked my winner, and it's Shelly Zabilski and her cat, Lily, from Westmont, Illinois. All right. Very good. All right. Now let's do another drum roll, please. Nice job, Shante. Okay. 
Here we go. Okay, so here's the one that I selected, and it is Tina Rosick, her cat Frankie from Aurora. All right, there's our congratulations, Tina. Congrats, congrats, Frankie, (laughs) and Johnny, Frankie and Johnny. Is that how it is? Frankie and Lily. It's a whole new movie. (laughs) Good sitcom. All right, so uh, make sure you switch over to Cat's Pride, folks, because not only will I appreciate it, but uh, your cat will appreciate it. And that's even more important than me appreciating it, right, Lisa? Yeah, I don't think your appreciation is as important as your cat. But we know that cats are persnickety. So um, I actually have the same story, Dan. And, you know, my daughter has a cat. And when we started partnering with you, I gave it a shot, too. And uh, no, no problem. There were no issues with changing over from one brand to another. And, of course, I've been buying Cat's Pride ever since and been very, very happy with the product. So personal testimonial. I have done the same thing as well, and I've never gone back. See? (laughs) And Mike doesn't even have a cat. He does. (laughs) I do have a cat. (laughs) He just Uh, likes to buy cat's pride. (laughs) Well, Jennifer, thank you for coming down and being on the air, and uh, thanks for having that uh, independent uh, test with your cats. Uh, Classic radio is coming your way. Our Miss Brooks is next, but wait, Dave has something to say. Yeah, we got to make sure we Tell them where they can find it. So I want to go ahead and just share a couple of the uh, local facilities and and really, you know, grocery stores that you can find. Meyer, Walmart, Woodman's, Jewel in uh, the Chicagoland area, as well as uh, Dan had mentioned, Bullwinkle's. Uh, the other time, Mariano's. And then when you talk about our reach to the West Coast with the, the 40 states you hit, you've got Ralph's, Albertson, Safeway, which is everywhere. And then we also have Publix, which is down in the mm-hmm. Southeast. And the Southeast is going through what we call a BOGO. So get out there. You're talking the next couple of weeks in Publix where you have our green jug. And then a week after that, it's going to be our white jug for Cat's Pride. So go on out there. And what if they them. can't get out? Is, do you have oh, yeah. So mail order e-com, yeah. thank you for reminding sure. me. In e-commerce, you've got Amazon, Chewy, and Walmart.com No well. reason to not switch, right, Dan? Yes, and Bullwinkles is actually Bachwinkles. Okay, You're thinking so. of the old time. <laughs> oh, thank you. Bullwinkles. I was going to say, uh, with Boris Badenoff yeah, sell it, was it Boris for you? That, yeah, yeah. Boris was pushing me with that name. All right. and, uh, Valley Foods in Evanston now. Oh, man. Way to go. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Great to meet you, Jennifer. And uh, our Miss Brooks coming your way after these words. All right. It was No Chance Encounter. Uh, Alligator Rob revealed the secret tool he used to capture Chance the Snapper last summer in Humboldt Park, Monday on WGN TV News at 9. Is that like Chance the Rapper? Yeah, it is. Chance the Snapper. snapper. Uh, Yeah. I actually like Chance the Rapper. He's really, really good. Do you like like Chance the Snapper, too? Um, I don't know anything about the uh, (laughs) Chance the Snapper. No, I don't. Okay. But I do know a lot about our Miss Brooks. Good. Let's hear it. And that's our first radio show. Uh, Going back to January 9th, 1949, Eve Arden. You know, if you were around back in the golden age of radio, Lisa, and I was the producer of this show, I I would cast you as Osgood Conklin, the the, uh, principal. The principal? No, I would cast you as Connie Brooks. You would have been perfect as Connie Brooks. Right? Yeah. Or I could be her friend. No, you you would have been... You would have been Connie well, Brooks. We just changed it. First you said the principal, I now was, you're saying... It was like... It was, it was one of these. Did you have an aha oh, moment? Man, that was loud. Well, how come that was so loud? That was crazy. All, All right, right well, Are we ready for Elmer Brooks? Yes, please. <laughs> January 9th, 1949. It's called Poor, Poor Heat. Here is our Miss Brooks. I'm Olive Soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. (laughs) 
Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, enjoyed her vacation during the holidays just as much as any other teacher. But as it drew to a close, she had a peculiar reaction. Although I felt that my vacation had done me a lot of good, now that it was over, I was keyed up and enthusiastic, simply raring to go. Raring to go on another two weeks' vacation. (laughs) Meanwhile, I went about the business of getting used to working again and spent the past week noticing conditions which hadn't seemed so deplorable during the hustle and bustle of holiday time at the school. I was telling my landlady, Mrs. Davis, about them while we were having breakfast Friday morning. Let me pour you a cup of this coffee, Connie. It's Rio de Janeiro style. I just got the recipe. Rio de Janeiro style? Yes. I mashed up a few Brazil nuts and mixed them with the coffee grounds. (laughs) That's one reason why the blonde hair of a Brazilian is so outstanding. But Mrs. Davis, very few Brazilians have blonde hair. That's another reason it's so outstanding. (laughs) But I'm afraid I've interrupted something you started to say to me, Connie. Oh, it wasn't very important. I had just said that I... I really shouldn't do that. It's a habit I picked up from my brother, Victor. He's terribly absent-minded. I thought your sister Angela was the absent-minded one in the family. Angela? Yes, that's what you told me. What did I tell you? (laughs) That she was very absent-minded. Who? (laughs) Your brother, Victor. Now, how did you know that? You've never even met Victor. (laughs) But he is confused sometimes, poor dear. Why, you could be talking about something to Victor and he'd seem as interested as could be in the conversation. But then if you just looked away for a moment, it could be right in the middle of a sentence that... Yes, Mrs. Davis? Mrs. Davis? Yoo-hoo, Mrs. Davis! Oh, oh, good morning, Connie. (laughs) I was just looking for the cat out in the kitchen. She hasn't touched her milk. What do you hear from Victor? Victor. Oh, my brother. Oh, he's fine, thank you, dear. He calls me quite regularly. My sister Angela's the one that worries me. She's the absent-minded member of the family. (laughs) But I keep feeling that I disrupted your train of thought. Did I, Connie? There's not a car left on the tracks but the caboose. (laughs) I was merely telling you, Mrs. Davis, that I never realized how bad conditions were at school until this cold spell set in. Why, my classroom is so drafty that half my pupils can't answer questions because their teeth are chattering. That must be awful. Young people have such loud teeth. (laughs) Yes, sometimes my room sounds like a dice game on a tin roof. (laughs) Have you talked to the principal about it? Not yet, but I'm going to today. He's just got to get the Board of Education to allot us a bigger budget for coal. Well, I wish you luck, dear. Is, uh... Walter Denton picking you up this morning. Yes, Mrs. Davis. Oh, good. Connie, I'd like to apologize again for interrupting you before. As I say, I've been a little worried about my eccentric brother, Victor. Before you go, though... Yes? Goodbye, Connie. Goodbye, Mrs. Davis. (laughs) By the way, Mrs. Davis. Yes, Connie. (laughs) Yes, Connie, I... Why, she's gone. Poor thing, she's been under a terrible strain lately.
I'm glad you picked me up early, Walter. I've got to stop in and see Mr. Conklin before my first class. Oh, golly, Miss Brooks, there must be some pleasanter way to start off a Friday morning for a perfectly nice English teacher. Yes, there must be. Oh, it isn't that I don't respect Mr. Conklin. It's just that, oh, there's something about you, Miss Brooks, that... Well, before the hallowed walls of our beloved Madison High heaves into view, I want you to know that... Just a minute, Walter. Would you mind taking that sentence again a little slower? <laughs> I merely exclaimed, before the hallowed walls of our beloved Madison High heaves into view... That's I... what I thought you explained. <laughs> Anything wrong, Miss Brooks? Well, frankly, Walter, I'd hesitate to correct that sentence without stopping a teacher's college for a refresher course. But, uh, <laughs> what do you mean by heaves into view? Well, every so often you read about a ship that hove into view, don't you? Yes. Well, hove must be the past tense, mustn't it? Heave, haved, hove, isn't it? <laughs> oh, of course not, Walter. Heave, heave, haved, uh, heave, <laughs> haved. What do you want me to know before Madison High heaves into view? <laughs> that you command as much respect as Mr. Conklin, plus the admiration of the entire student body, and that you're personal warmth and charm is only exceeded by your excellence in your chosen field of instruction. Ain't it the truth? <laughs> I don't want to seem unduly inquisitive, Walter, but to what do I owe this verbal plaque? Nothing. It's just a natural reaction, a completely spontaneous and unrehearsed. And what did you get from our sponsor when you were selected as a contestant? A pen and pencil set that's guaranteed... Oh, no, that's not fair. <laughs> now, I'm being completely sincere and have no ulterior motive whatsoever. Then, thank you, Walter. Well, that's okay. Miss Brooks? Yes? Would you do me a favor? If I say no, you'll take back the plaque. Hmm? <laughs> well, what is it? Well, it's a basketball team. As you know, I'm the new manager, so it's, it's up to me to see Mr. Conklin about getting some things that we need immediately. And? And it's up to you to see Mr. Conklin for me, because I'm rarely up to seeing Mr. Conklin. It, what I mean is that we've just got to get some more trunks. Where are you going? Well, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> no, we need stuff for the guys to put on while they're playing. You see, right now, every time we send in a substitute, he has to take a blanket along with him and change trunks with a fellow he's replacing. <laughs> About ten pairs should do fine. Ten pairs? Why don't you just get a larger blanket? <laughs> oh, no, this is serious, Miss Brooks. Oh, another thing you've got to talk to Mr. Conklin about for me is the temperature in the gym. It's so cold in there, a good humor man has to referee the game. <laughs> Of course, I'm exaggerating, Miss Brooks. I know, Walter, but, uh, A, just what do you want me to ask, Mr. Conklin? And B, why should it be me instead of you? Well, A, to requisition $100 worth of equipment for the basketball team from the school board, and B, because you're older and carry more weight. <laughs> and C, if we were driving in my car, you'd be walking by now. Well, you don't understand, Miss Brooks. I'm not trying to shirk my duties, but... Well, this is a legitimate beef. Uh, let me put it this way. In the stockyards, when they want the sheep to run a certain way, they don't send a little lamb out to guide them. They send an old goat. <laughs> I mean, you, you've seen it in the newsreels, I'm sure, where they, the goat and the... Gosh, I hope you're not mad, Miss Brooks. Oh, forget it, Walter. Why should I be mad? <laughs> 
Then you'll do it? You'll ask Mr. Conklin for me? I'll do my best. Now, you'd better start putting on your brakes. My brakes? Yes, the hallowed walls are hiving into view. school, Miss Brooks. If you will kindly disembark, I'll find a place to park and then return for a joust with the forces of education. If I was a gambler, Walter, I'd bet on you to place. (laughs) Oh, there's Harriet Conklin. I think I'll ask her what kind of a mood her father's in. Okay, Miss Brooks. I'll see you later. Just a minute, Harriet. I'd I'd like to talk to you. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. I'm glad we ran into each other. Same here. Harriet, did you have breakfast with your father this morning? Yes, I did. How was he? His temper, I mean... Pretty good, Miss Brooks, until Mother showed him some of the bills that had come in. Then what did he do? Nothing unusual. He just slammed down his paper, bit through his coffee cup, and left. (laughs) It could have been worse. Sure, he could have bitten your mother. (laughs) That's one of the reasons I'm glad we ran into each other. Miss Brooks, did I ever tell you what an unending source of inspiration you are? Oh, I must end somewhere. (laughs) I mean it, Miss Brooks. You're more than just an excellent instructor of English. You're... you're... I'm the patsy who's going to face your father with one of your problems. <laughs> oh, listen, psychic, too. How did you know I wanted you to talk to Daddy for me, Miss Brooks? Oh, why should you be an exception, Harriet? What's your beat? Uh, complaint. <laughs> the domestic science room. It's like a deep freeze. That room, too? It's so cold that most of us wear gloves all during the class. Makes it very awkward, Miss Brooks. Especially when we're trying to use the sewing machine. Sounds pretty bad. Bad? It's terrible. Yesterday, Bessie Snyder sewed five of her fingers together. (laughs) What's so terrible about that? Gives you an extra ladle for the cooking class. (laughs) It broke the sewing machine. And we need $200 for a new one. Oh, but Harriet... Miss Brooks, it's up to you to make conditions in this school livable. For you, you mean. I'd better be armed with plenty of facts before I face your father, though. I think I'll make a survey of the rest of the rooms. Starting with Mr. Boynton's biology laboratory? Now who's psychic? (laughs) Yes, Harriet, I think I'll interview the shy master of the microbes. I've been in there, Miss Brooks. It's even colder than the other rooms. I hope you can do something about it. I should be able to, with the experience I've had. What do you mean, Miss Brooks? I've been trying to thaw Mr. Boynton out for years. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. How do you feel this morning? Cold, thanks, especially in here. Where do you hang your sides of beef, Mr. Boynton? (laughs) Oh, it... (laughs) This kind of silly of that. I was going to ask Mr. Conklin about the heating situation, but now that you're here, I wonder if you would... uh... Naturally. (laughs) You better slip this coat on. Even your voice is shivering. (laughs) Oh, this outfit I'm wearing is fairly warm. I've got four sweaters on, you know. Really? Where? Let's not get racy, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> sorry, Miss Brooks. I didn't mean anything personal. You never do. <laughs> well, the situation is pretty bad. Now, take my prize frog, McDougal, for instance. He's had a sore throat for weeks. and Now, with this cold spell, I'm afraid he's developing sinus trouble. Oh, here's his cage right here. Hello, Mac. How do you feel? <laughs> Gesundheit. 
Have a Kleenex, Mac. <laughs> You're welcome. It's no wonder he's sick. Look at the tank he's in. No provisions for heating the water at all. Or this morning, his breakfast was frozen two inches from his nose. By the time he did eat, he had indigestion. <laughs> That's really awful, Mr. Boynton. This equipment is pretty obsolete. What's this bowl here? Oh, these must be some new fish. What's the name of these pretty blue ones, Mr. Boynton? Goldfish. They're just cold. <laughs> they should slap their pins together. Oh, look at these cute little guinea pigs. Now, they're what I call sensible animals. Look how they huddle together for warmth in their cage. You know, Mr. Boynton, you and I could keep kind of warm that way, too. <laughs> oh, no, we couldn't, Miss Brooks. We could never fit into a cage that size. Well, no, but it would be fun trying to. <laughs> Look, Mr. Boynton, about what do you estimate it would cost for new equipment for this lab? Oh, a couple of hundred dollars, roughly. One fifty, if you smooth it out. <laughs> That's a sort of a joke, Miss Brooks. First I said roughly, and then one fifty, if you smooth it out. Oh. <laughs> Lulu. Uh, I know another one, but I wish you'd stop me if you've heard it. It's about this group of people... I've heard it. You have? Uh, the one about the group of people who are all discussing something in a very animated manner, and suddenly they stop, and this one fellow says, is anybody eating a lifesaver? And somebody else says, why? And the first chap says, because there's a hole in the conversation. Is that the one you've heard? No, I heard a different one. Tell yours. Well, it's about... <laughs> I, I just did tell it, Miss Brooks. Oh, so you did, Mr. Boynton. And a little beauty it was, too. But I'd better get ready for my first class now. I'll see Mr. Conklin at the beginning of lunch period. Well, it's awfully nice of you to do this, Miss Brooks. Will you have lunch with me afterwards? Oh, I'd love to, Mr. Boynton. Uh, and Miss Brooks... Please don't even bring your purse with you. It, it only embarrasses me when you try to pay your own check in the cafeteria. All right, Mr. Boynton. I'll leave my bag in my desk. Fine. When I see you to your room, I can pick up what you owe me. <laughs> That's a good one, too. <laughs> what am I laughing at? He's not kidding. <laughs> Let's see this list now. Weather stripping for my room, $50. Basketball team equipment, $100. New sewing machine, about $200. And biology lab equipment, $150. Total $500. Of course, that's without the additional coal we'll have to get. Well, here goes. Come in. Hello, Mr. Conklin. I just wanted Sit to Sit down a moment, Miss Brooks. I'm speaking on the phone. Yes, sir. So you see, Miss Stanhope, this senseless extravagance has got to stop. Why, do you realize that your art class used up three more drawing pencils this month than last? <laughs> what do you think the school board is made of, money? What? How can you cut down? Tell the students not to sharpen them so often. <laughs> remember, Miss Stanhope, it isn't the 50 cents involved that's important. It's the money. <laughs> Get on the ball and let's start cutting down expenses around here. Good day. Now... What do you want? A uh, happy new year, Mr. Conklin. I mean, I just happened to be passing your office, and I thought I'd stop in and say hello. Hello. Now, if you'll excuse me, I was just going to lunch. 
But, Mr. Conklin, you don't want to go up to that drafty cafeteria. What do you mean, drafty? Oh, it is. It's almost as bad as the schoolrooms. What? And the gym and the biology laboratory and the domestic science room, in which your own daughter Harriet is at this very moment shivering and shaking while she sews her gloved fingers together on the sewing machine which Bessie Snyder broke. There, I said it, and I'm glad. (laughs) If you're angling for another vacation, Miss Brooks, the answer is no. Now compose yourself and talk like a rational human being. Well, it's like this, Mr. Conklin. If we could get a larger appropriation from the school... A larger appropriation? (laughs) Miss Brooks, let me tell you what I was planning when you so fortuitously entered my office. I was planning on a general revision of expenses, an economy wave the likes of which this school has never seen. For example, you will in the future direct your pupils to use half as much chalk. You mean no more capital letters? (laughs) Exactly. And this building, it's kept like a hothouse. I intend to cut way down on the supply of coal we're wasting. Wasting? But, but... Don't butt me, young woman. Oh, I can't help it. I'm the goat that was picked for the job. <laughs> that is, it's, it's not a question of a lot of money, Mr. Conklin. And the temperature of the school is very important. It certainly is. And I find it extremely comfortable for the most part. But you, why are you wearing your overcoat? It's just a silly quirk of mine, Mr. Conklin. I'm trying to break up an ice jam in my arteries. <laughs> oh, nonsense. And take off those gloves. And I wish you'd stop smoking while you're talking to me. I'm not smoking. I'm just breathing. <laughs> well, cut it out. <laughs> That's the trouble with people nowadays. They're all mollycoddles, softies. Why, when I think of our forefathers at Valley Forge... Dragging cannons through the snow with their feet wrapped in rags is enough to make my blood boil. Well, it wouldn't boil in my room. (laughs) Look, Mr. Conklin, if you don't care about people, think of the poor little animals in Mr. Boynton's laboratory. What's wrong with them? The white mice can't run around on the treadmill without snowshoes. (laughs) McDougal doesn't know whether to croak, sneeze, or hiccup. So he does all three, and it's pretty depressing. Well, then don't listen to it. And how about the basketball team? Walter Denton says that every time one of his substitutes goes into a game, he has to hide behind a trunk while they're changing blankets. (laughs) And just think, a hundred dollars would remedy the entire situation. A hundred dollars? Plus two hundred for a new sewing machine, fifty for weather-stripping my room, and a hundred and fifty for warmer tanks and better equipment in the biology lab. Five hundred dollars is all you have to requisition from the board, plus some added money for coal. And if you'll sharpen the sword, I'll fall on it on my way out. (laughs) Miss Brooks, I'm going to try to control myself. I'm going to walk over to that window and look out of it. A moment later, I'm going to turn around, and you will have gone quietly out of the door. Ah, that's better. Five hundred dollars indeed. Plus coal. Get out! The cafeteria was pretty crowded today. Young Denton here invited us to share his table. Sure, sit down, Miss Brooks. Want me to get you a tray? Thanks, Walter, but I haven't time to eat right now. I've just let, left Mr. Conklin's office, and he's flatly refused to requisition a penny from the school board. 
But the temperature, my animals, McDougal's toes are frostbitten now. Then how about my basketball team? We got a very important home game on tomorrow night, and that gym is just icy. Oh, we gotta do something, Miss Brooks. We just gotta get some more coal into this building. Well, maybe we could start an airlift. <laughs> no, I guess not. Wait a minute. The only way to make Mr. Conklin see the necessity of improving the coal situation is to pretend we're all coming down with colds. You mean go into his office sneezing and coughing and all? Exactly. He won't dare face a school board investigation if he thinks an epidemic is starting. Besides, I happen to know he's quite a hypochondriac when it comes to contagious germs. But if we really don't have colds, it'd be lying to say we have, wouldn't it? It's a white lie for the common good, Mr. Boynton. But you know what happens to me when I tell a falsehood. I have a psychosomatic symptom that causes me to hiccup. Well, we'll have to take that chance. <laughs> Think of McDougal, Mr. Boynton, and those blue goldfish swimming around depending on you to do something. I'll do it, Miss Brooks. I'll be darned if I don't. Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> oh, forget it, Mr. Boynton. In a crisis like this, even I resort to profanity. Oh, fudge. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Conklin, I got a bad cold. What? Uh, it's in by Doe's and Ed, mostly. <laughs> Turn around, Boynton. Don't you know those germs travel? How long have you had this cold? Oh, for a long time. And shoo! <laughs> you caught something from that wretched frog of yours. Now go take some aspirin, go home early, do something, but get out of this office at once. Uh, but, Mr. Conklin, if my laboratory was a little bit warm... I'll talk to you after you've recovered, Boynton. Uh, fine, Mr. Uh, Conklin. Thank you, sir. Better open the window and clear the air in this room. Ah, ah, that's better. Come in. It's me, Mr. Cocklet. Water deaded. What do you want, Denton? As manager of the basketball team, I'd like to request a warbird jib. A what? A warbird jib to play in. It's freezing in there. I got a cold. You too? Well, cover your face when you sneeze. We got a very important game to play tomorrow, and we need some heat badly. Heat. Well, if you've got such a bad cold, Denton, you'd better not come round to the game tomorrow. What? I'll be there, and I'll appoint another manager. Well, I'm not that sick, Mr. Conklin. Gosh, I feel great. I mean... I think I know what you mean, Denton. This is all a scheme to get me to ask the board for more money. And I think I know who put you up to it, too. She did not. Oh, that is... <laughs> Come in, Miss Brooks. How did you know it was B, Mr. Conklin? I heard you rehearsing your sneeze. Do you look great, Miss Brooks? Never saw you looking better. Thank you, Walter. You couldn't possibly have a cold or anything the way you look. Know what I mean? Keep talking, Denton. I don't mind. Why, what's the matter with you, Walter? I have a terrible cold in my chest and my head. It's from my room, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Mr. Conklin, if that is the scream, you sure do a funny imitation of a person with a cold, Miss Brooks. What do you be, imitation? Sure. Everybody knows you're just fooling. <laughs> Among my own pupils, a stool pigeon. <laughs> This was all a plot, Miss Brooks, and I'm ashamed of you. Why, just because there's a little fresh air circulating through the school. Good fresh air. You throw a fit. 
Our forefathers should see you now. Those men at Valley Forge dragging the cannon through the snow with rags tied around their feet. Why would oh, I think of them? Oh. The door was open, so I just came on in, Daddy. Oh, uh, what is it, Harriet? I talked to Mother on the phone a little while ago, and her back's bothering her a bit. She'd like the heating pad. What heating pad? The one you've got under the cushion you're sitting on. <laughs> Here's the plug back here. Now, if you'll just get up a minute. There we are. I'll take it home to Mother right away. Where in the world did that thing come from? <laughs> from Valley Forge, of course. The boys... The boys must have got some hot rags for their feet. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Conklin recommended the necessary expenditures to the school board and personally ordered some coal immediately. I thought it was a very sportsmanlike and unselfish gesture, and I started to tell him so when I met him in the hall. Mr. Conklin, I think it was very nice of you to tackle this problem so promptly. Thanks, Miss Brooks. <laughs> but I wasn't prompt enough. I'm getting to bone you. Oh, what's the difference, Mr. Conklin? As long as you've got your health. <laughs> Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, and Gloria McMillan. <laughs> For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Stay tuned now for Lamond Abner, Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Our Miss Brooks from January 9th, 1949. Yeah, Madison High is on a coal budget, so uh, everyone has a <laughs> getting a cold there, Lisa. Eve Arden as uh, Connie Brooks. And that was sponsored by Palmolive Soap, Palmolive Shaving Cream. I know you use that shaving cream. That's why you're... That's why I'm your so beard smooth on my cheeks so, today. Uh, yeah, and then Luster Cream Shampoo. I like that, too. And you're a glamorous dream girl hair. Like, yep. you know, they were saying uh, when you use that kind of shampoo, which you do, Luster Cream. I feel glamorous. You're a glamorous dream girl. <laughs> I know about the dream girl, but I'll go with the glamorous. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that. We're going to uh, be back right after these words, so stick around. Yeah, well, we just listened to our Miss Brooks, Lisa. We did. I was going to ask you a question, Carl. Yeah. So tomorrow. Yes. There's a lot of things going on tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, what? A football game? A football game. We've got the Super Bowl, Super Bowl game, right? Yeah. Okay. Number two, it is... Uh, a, a night I sleep, or morning I sleep in. Yes. It's Groundhog Day. It is? Yes. That's tomorrow. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. Is Punxsutawney Phil going to see a shadow? I hope so. I hope so, too. Good. And number three... Yeah. It's uh, something really cool is about to happen tomorrow that uh -huh. had that for the first time in 909 years... 
some kind of an asteroid thing? Or it's a palindrome. What's a palindrome? You don't know what that is? I've heard of it. It's a phrase or a sequence that reads the same backwards as forwards. Okay. So the date tomorrow, write it down. Right. It'll help you. It's 02-02-2020. Right. But if you write that down and you read it backwards, it's wow. 02-02-2020. That's crazy. Right? How often does that happen? Once in um, one? Not, not very often. Not to, the last time it happened was November 11th of 1111. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, speaking of uh, Super Bowl. Yes. Did you know this? This is true. I did. When I was getting <laughs> married, we're talking about 1988. Right. I actually bought a Super Bowl ticket on the day. I didn't realize this. On the day of my wedding. Are you so kidding? So I had to. I had to have, find someone to replace me, so I put an ad in the paper, and I only had one. Only one person was willing to replace me, but he was married. Oh my gosh! Well, I was I was in New Orleans when we had the Super Bowl uh, in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. I was at that Super Bowl. <laughs> You're funny. You so I had to go through with it. You didn't miss the Super Bowl. You didn't do it. Well, we'll watch the Super Bowl. If not the Super Bowl, we'll watch the halftime show. You know who's performing? I have no idea. J-Lo and Shakira. Wow. You'll love it. That, yes, I will love yes, it. Yes, I know you will. So you In can, our next hour, <laughs> it's the Whistler. Ooh, you don't want to miss the Whistler. Then Escape and then the Falcon. A lot of great classic radio shows coming your way. Stick around. Bum, ba-dum, bum. Bum, ba-dum, bum, bum. Do you know the, the copy there? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so All right. the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Just the facts. Anyhow, there it is. I think we Ladies sounded better when we did it. The story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Yeah. This is sponsored by This Cats is sponsored by Cat's Pride. Pride. This is our Just the Facts segment. We will be playing a radio show this hour from 1945. will be The Whistler. And some uh, great facts from 1945. First of all, the president was... Who judged them as great? I you did. did. Okay. I am the judge of judges, and Mike, I judge them as great facts. Playing the game with us? There's no, no game. It's just a segment. No? All right. It's not a game. <laughs> it's not a game. It's a segment. So, the president was... In 1945, yes. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Right, and until April 12th, well, actually, he, of 1945. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing we are going to hear from 1945 was Abbott and Costello's film, The Naughty 90s. On the St. Louis team, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second. I don't. They know did this in the movie. They huh? did this in the movie. This is a 1945 film starring Abbott and Costello, and it is notable for containing the film version of the duos who's on first routine right, wow. and and this version is shown at the national baseball hall of fame and Cooper's museum in Town. cooperstown yeah, yeah wow. great stuff also three musketeers originally came three pieces to a package at that time i had no idea yep so one was chocolate really can you guess the one, other two strawberry and vanilla there you go hence the name three musketeers right? i had no this idea. changed when uh in 1945 in world war ii because the strawberry and vanilla flavors were too expensive mm-hmm. not crazy not for you they wouldn't have been well no but you know for the layman you could know, have sold of one of the 25 cars you have <laughs> right could have had to, all the three musketeers to you afford wanted. all the i want the uh vanilla and strawberry three musketeers Here's actually Lisa. 
Actually, so. Listen, I don't care how expensive it is. Actually, I want this. I am a chocolate fan, so there will be no vanilla and strawberry for me. That's right. You're a chocolate fan. Me too. And an airplane crashed into the Empire State yes, Building, injuring elevator operator Betty Oliver. When rescuers attempted to lower her on an elevator, the cable snapped and she fell 75 stories down. So, yeah. Oof. Yeah, she survived the fall, but still holds the record for longest survived elevator fall. You know what? We always... That could, that could ruin your whole day. You know, <laughs> that's for sure. We <laughs> always think about that when we step into an elevator. We get into these elevators, we stop the 18 for a floors. I always put my hand out, you know, and I don't let Lisa get in the elevator until I look down and see that there's an actual floor there. And who says chivalry is dead? Yeah. Right? And I open the door for her all the time. Some of the time. All the time. <laughs> Some of the time. Well, anyhow, that's what was... Don't let her get in the elevator. <laughs> that's true. We're always really careful in the elevators. Yeah. That that was a little taste of I don't know if I trust that guy, Otis. Otis, that's right. <laughs> you could always take the stairs. That's true. That would be good for you. <laughs> Going down, maybe. I'm not, I'm not walking up 18 floors. I'll maybe walk down 18 floors. Maybe it would be good exercise for you. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't like to sweat. I know. Never let him see a sweat, Carl. <laughs> Is that it for 1945? That's it for 1945. Nice job, Lisa Wolf. <laughs> All right. In this hour, we have the Whistler. Ooh, I like the Whistler. And uh, we haven't talked about the fact that we're giving away five free classic radio shows to all of our listeners. Well, let's do just that. Would you like five free classic radio shows, folks? This is a way of thanking you for listening to the show. They're yours free. Go to 100radioshows.com, the number 100radioshows.com. If you go to that website, at the very top of the website, you just put your email address and then hit send, and within like five seconds, you will have an email with five links, and these links are for five classic radio shows. We have Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Richard Diamond, Private Detective, Suspense, and uh, what was the other one? Um, Fibber McGee and Molly. Yeah, those are the five shows. And they're all digitally remastered by the great Mike Estella, all about 30 minutes uh, long each, nothing edited. The full-length shows, they're yours free. We want you to have these free five classic radio shows. And at that site, what else is there, Lisa? Uh, we have a lot of other shows that you can purchase. Yeah. Um, no obligation to do that. Just if you choose to, we actually have uh, seven different collections that have a 100 shows on each collection. So you can look at those and choose to buy another collection if you'd like. That's 700 opportunities to uh, have classic radio. 700 more shows. These are all digital downloads. Yep. But uh, the best part about it is make sure you use the promo code RADIO at checkout, and you will save 70% on your order. And people are buying them like popcorn because at 70% off, quite the deal. Build a whole library, 700 digitally remastered classic radio shows, and you can uh, buy them at 100radioshows.com, and at that same site, get five shows absolutely free. I like free. Free is nice. Yeah. There's yeah. not a lot of things that are free, so take advantage of the five free shows. That's right. Absolutely. But right now, it's time for The Whistler, a good mystery series that premiered on CBS Radio in 1942. It was sponsored by Signal Oil. Now, you know, Signal Oil 
Most people may not know this. Signal Oil was not a nationwide company. They were really only on the West Coast. So with the Whistler, they never really had a national sponsor. All these shows that have Signal Oil on it, they are the West Coast versions. And then there was East Coast versions done and also Midwest versions right out of uh, WBBM here in Chicago. They did them on WBBM. And those were oftentimes sponsored by like household finance or different, different sponsors. But the West Coast versions were brought to you by Signal Oil. And those are the ones we mostly air. Um, and the Whistler was this all knowing kind of, guy who would uh, talk to you and he would he knew what the the killer was thinking all the time really interesting how they how they did this and every single episode had a very interesting twist ending like you would think oh this is going uh, this way and then boom shakalaka 180 degree change at the end and that's what i think people really liked about the whistler they were like wow what's going to happen because i know it's going to have a twist ending at the end that was their hook you know i get it you know what i mean <laughs> i do you I get understand. it I do. you get it okay I do. <laughs> <laughs> and the whistler never really had like superstars on it didn't have like hollywood stars but it had the greatest actors from radio's row like jack webb gerald moore elliot lewis william conrad people like that virginia Gregg. nearly 700 episodes were produced from 1942 until 1955 and it was also on television for a brief time in 1954 and there were eight columbia whistler pictures they made whistler movies from 1944 until 1948 and then there was also a whistler painting yeah that's not you didn't think that was funny Mm, yeah we're laughing we're all (sighs) laughing over here all right well we have a january 1st 1945 episode called two for the money let's tune this in uninterrupted the whistler let every go signal remind you that you do go farther with signal gasoline the signal oil program The Signal Oil Company and your neighborhood signal dealer bring you another curious story by The Whistler. Tonight, two for the money. I am The Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Presently, I'll tell you of nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Now, The Whistler. It's strange, isn't it, how a man can live his life through several decades, simply, quietly, in peaceful obscurity, and suddenly, through one small incident, find his world turned into chaos. For instance, there was Tom Barlow, who lived with his wife, Ellen, in the small seacoast village of Marblehead, and whose whole life had been spent as a lowly driver of the town carry-all. Combination taxi, delivery truck, and tow car. To everyone in Marblehead, he was just old Tom, 
Until that night a few months ago. A raining, stormy night it was, with a feeling in the air of foreboding, if you were particularly sensitive. And the man who came to Tom, just as he was getting ready to go home to dinner with Ellen and Judy, his daughter, wanted to be driven out to Guilford Inlet. It was no pleasant trip on a night like that, lonely, miserable. But a fair was a fair, and Tom started out. Halfway there, they had to cross the inlet, and Tom was just beginning to worry about whether or not the bridge might be washed out. Driver? Driver? Yes, sir. Is that the Guilford Bridge ahead? Yes, sir, that's it. <laughs> Lucky for us, it's still there. You sure picked a night to come out to this godforsaken neck of the woods. When you get to the bridge, stop. Stop? What I said, stop. Well, mister, there's no need to stop. It's eight miles yet to the inlet. Stop when you get to the bridge. Okay, mister, whatever you say. How much do I owe you? Well, you're not getting out here. How much do I owe you? A dollar and a half, but look, mister. Yeah, two dollars. Keep the change. You're crazy, mister. There isn't a house within eight miles of here. I like walking. But, mister, I'm not going to leave you out on this bridge alone. Good night. Well, Tom, that's a queer thing, isn't it? Strange fellow. Never did get a good look at his face. He kept it muffled up in his scarf, his hat pulled down low. You've half a mind to run after him. But in ten seconds, he's disappeared into the blackness. And you drive back to town wondering, trying to make up your mind whether you should tell somebody about him or not. Then, when you're putting up the cab for the night and you happen to glance in the back, your mind is made up for you. That's just what I told him, Sheriff. I said, I'm not going to leave you out on this bridge alone. Mm -hmm. What time was that, Tom? Oh, about two hours ago, at nine o'clock. Uh-huh. Uh, I tried to argue with him, Sheriff, but he just wouldn't listen. Okay, what happened then? Well, then I came on back to the garage, and when I was cleaning out the back of my cab, I found this package. Package? What package? This package right here, what I came to see you about. Here, look for yourself. Cash, $25,000. I thought I'd better turn it in quick. Well, I'll be... Hey, Tom, listen. Huh? You left this man on Gilford Bridge two hours ago? Yeah, that's right, nine o'clock. Sure was a queer bird, Sheriff. Had a muffler over half of his face. Could hardly hear him talk. I said to hey, him... Sergeant, yes. get out the car. Get five men. We're going to Gilford Bridge. Gary, you see anything down there? Something here, this is the spot where I left him, Sheriff. Right here. Hey, Chief. Chief, look. Yeah? I found this uh, coat and hat under the bridge. Hey, Eddie, put your flashlight over here. That, that's the coat the man was wearing. And that's his hat, too. You sure, Tom? I'm positive. Oh, Sheriff, dug this muffler out of the water about 20 yards downstream. That's his, too, yes. That's what he had over his mouth. Made him talk so peculiar. The hat, coat, muffler. Looks like he drowned himself, all right. You aiming to drag the inlet, Sheriff? Not tonight, I'm not. In the morning. Anyhow, with that undertow, a body would be two miles out to sea by now. That's right. Huh. Well, what do you suppose he done it for? Poor guy. Poor guy? <laughs> Tom, he left $25,000 in your cab, didn't he? Oh, well, money don't mean much if you're so low you want to jump in the river. <laughs> money don't mean much, huh? Listen, Tom, if we don't find that man's body, if nobody claims that money in six months, you know who it belongs to? 
It belongs to you, Tom. Me? Yes, sir, you. That's the law. Me? If nobody claims it in six months, and if we don't find the body that fits this hat and coat. Well, Tom, that's quite a stroke of luck, isn't it? Imagine, $25,000. More than you've ever dreamed of. And it's yours. Almost. You stand on the bridge and gaze into the dark water below and wonder about your strange passenger. But perhaps you wouldn't wonder if you could see something happening in a lonely house eight miles away at Guilford Inlet. Who's there? I'm asking for questions. Let me in. Who is it? Well, Mrs. Wilmer, so you don't recognize me. And after I've paid your salary, kept you living here all these years. <gasps> Mr. Ben. Yes, it's me. And don't stand there gawking. Let me in and close the door. Make some hot coffee. I'm frozen to the bone. Uh, of course. Of course. <laughs> Same dismal old place. Mr. Ben, where's your hat and coat? You're soaking wet, Mr. Ben. Where's your hat and coat? You're soaking wet, Mr. Ben. Hey, heaven, woman, can't you say anything better than that? Twenty years. Twenty years, and I come home to... Where's your hat and coat, Mr. Ben? Mrs. Wilmy, you're still a fool. Uh, uh, yes, sir. I'll get the coffee. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, sir. You still go down to the village every day and gossip like a fishwife? Well, oh, sir, stop, I... Sir, stop stirring me. Now, listen. While I'm here, you keep away from the village, do you understand? Order your groceries by phone, if this morgue still has a phone. Oh, no, sir. Not since you left. Barlow Manor's all boarded up. Except in my room. All the better. You'll have the delivery sent once a month then. Nobody's to know that I've come back to Guilford. Is that clear? No one. Uh, uh, yes, sir. If you want coffee... Mrs. Wilmy, for the love of heaven, stop fluttering. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> oh, me. Nothing changed. You're still afraid of me, aren't you? Aren't you? Uh, y yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Oh, please, sir. Go get the coffee. Uh, yes, sir. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. My brother Tom, he still drives that taxi of his, I suppose? Oh, yes. They say down in the village... Never mind your fool gossip. <laughs> still driving a taxi after 20 years. Mr. Happy-go-lucky. Everybody loves good old Tom. Don't they, Mrs. Wilmer? Oh, yes. He's such a cheerful man. And his wife, Ellen, is... Get out of here. Get out. Go get the coffee. And don't you babble about Ellen Barlow, you understand? Don't you ever babble to me about Ellen Barlow. Yes, Tom Barlow, if you could see that scene. And your brother, Ben, sitting in the old family house in Guilford Inlet. Perhaps you wouldn't wonder so about the stranger's disappearance. But you don't see that, and so to you and your wife, Ellen, it's like a dream. <laughs> oh, Ellen, Ellen, it's like a dream. $25,000. Why, we're going to be rich. <laughs> oh, Tom, Tom, put me down. Put me down. Oh, we are, Ellen, we are. Even the sheriff thinks so. Oh, oh. We, we ought to go out and do the town. Well, we'll have plenty of time for that, Tom Barlow, after six months. Wilmy. Mrs. Wilmy. I'm coming, 
sir. Uh, I'm coming. I was just bringing your tea things. Oh, never mind the tea things. Where's my tonic? Heart's pounding like a trip hammer. Uh, right here, sir. On the train. Where's the afternoon paper? Here you are, sir. But there's nothing new about Mr. Tom and the money. Who asked you that? Uh, well, I... Mrs. Wilmy, you're nosy, aren't you? Oh, oh, please, Mr. Ben. Oh, stop that <laughs> sniveling. You're nosy, Mrs. Wilmy. But you are a good housekeeper. Uh, well, I do quiet, try... Be quiet, I feel like talking. Yes. Or the tea. No, 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 don't stand up. Sit down here by me. Oh, very You're well. going to chat, Mrs. Wilmy. I'm expecting a um, business friend of mine today at five sharp, Mr. Peterson. Uh-huh. He's going to do something for me. Uh, yes, sir. But you and I will chat until he arrives. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, lemon and two sugars, sir. Well, well. Uh, yes. So you remember after all these years, huh? That's nice. <laughs> Mrs. Wilmy, I'm a very rich man. I made a good deal of money in the city. Yes, sir. And I remembered you in my will. Oh, uh, thank you, sir. Be quiet, be quiet. You'll be well off when I die, Mrs. Wilmy. Very well off. That's why I think you'll keep your mouth closed about lots of things. Oh, I never... I feel like talking. Mrs. Wilmy, did you read that they haven't found the body yet of the man who left the money in my brother's taxi? Oh, yes. They've been dragging me in it for weeks, sir. They can drag for years. They won't ever find the body. You know why, Mrs. Wilby? Because I am the body. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Ben. Sure, I'm the body. Oh. I left that 25000 in Tom's cab. I wanted him to find it. I put it there. But, Mr. Ben... I'm going to break Tom Barlow. You watch. Uh, please don't tell me. I don't want to know. Six months he'll wait, thinking he's rich every day more certain. He'll be building air castles. You watch. I know Tom. He won't wait for six months. Fools around here to lend him money on speculation. He'll get in deep. You watch. Tom, happy-go-lucky. Always said he could get along without money. Married Ellen on a shoestring. Shoestring. And I could have given her everything. I could have given her clothes, a house in the city. You mustn't tell me, please. Don't. Mr. Happy-go-lucky. I can just hear him now. Money isn't everything. Money only causes trouble. Married Eleanor a shoestring. <laughs> well, this time he'll find out what money can do. After 20 years, is planning to extract his revenge for his brother Tom's marrying the woman he loved. He's planning to ruin his brother with the promise of the money he found, and then snatch it away at the last moment. And Tom, good old Tom, seems to be falling into the trap slowly, reluctantly, happily. <laughs> oh, 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 now, fellas, money isn't everything. Well, we'll see if you say that when you get the 25000 <laughs> oh, I will. He's got four months to go yet. No, he's counting his chickens. <laughs> <laughs> the money's as good as in the bank. Then eight weeks now, nobody's claiming. And who do you expect going to claim it anyhow? A ghost? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tom, uh, I hear you and Ellen and the kid are planning a trip to New York. 
see all the shows. Huh? Well, maybe. Well, all I can say is if anybody deserves that money, it's Tom Barlow. Tom, where were you? Well, thank you. person in the village won't be counting the days till six months is up. <laughs> One hundred and three, one hundred and four. Judy, are you doing your homework? One hundred and five, one hundred and six, one hundred and seven, one hundred and seven days, Pa, and we'll be rich. Judy, I told you not to talk about that money. Oh, now leave her be, Ellen. It don't hurt thinking about it. Oh, Tom, can't you see what I mean? Can't you understand? We've always been happy, Tom, the three of us, without too much money. And now... Of course we have. Of course we have. And that's why I want you and Judy to have everything in the world. Why, you don't think I want the money for myself. Tom, listen. Let's withdraw our claim. Let's forget all about the money. What do you say? Tell the sheriff to give it to charity or something. Will you, Tom? Will you? Ma, are you crazy? Oh, she's teasing you, Judy. I'm not teasing I've got a funny feeling about that money. But, Ellen, dear, I'm, I'm kind of counting on it. We've already run up a few bills and all, and what with this little deal I'm working... And... Deal? What deal? Oh, nothing, Ellen. Uh, Judy... What deal, Tom? Just a little surprise. Uh, you know what I've been thinking? We all need a little vacation. Yes, sir. Get away from town for a while. Jerry Mason says that I could get $600 for the cab. Tom, and... you're not going to sell the cab. Well... Oh, Pa, that's wonderful. We could go to New York and see Radio City and go to all the big shows and, and everything. Oh, Pa, I love you. You're so wonderful. Isn't he wonderful, Ma? Tom, you're not going to sell the cab. Please. Now, Ellen, don't you worry. Everything's going to be all right. Yes, everything's going to be all right now, isn't it, Tom? You're getting more certain of it every day. It's been four months now, and you've almost forgotten about the stranger. But, uh, he hasn't forgotten about you, Tom. Oh, he sold the cab, Mrs. Wilmer. Yes, sir. Good, good. And now what about this man, Peterson? Uh, well, sir, Mr. Peterson uh, said that uh, everything was uh, going the way you wanted, sir. Uh, that's fine. Good man, Peterson. Real good man. What else? Uh, what, what, sir? What else? Uh, well, sir... Come on, out with it. Well, sir, there's talk around that Mr. Tom and... and, and, and... For the love of heaven, woman, will you go on? You told me never to mention Mrs. Barlow's name, sir. What about Mrs. Barlow? Uh, she and Mr. Tom aren't getting along so well. <laughs> good, good. So they're not getting along, huh? Now, isn't that too bad? Money isn't everything. You watch, Mrs. Wilmy. He'll probably mortgage the house next. Money isn't everything. You watch, I know, Tom. He'll mortgage the house. And when you find that suicide note... Suicide note? <laughs> oh, didn't I tell you, oh. Mrs. Wilmy? You're going to discover a suicide note oh. in Guilford Inlet. <laughs> oh, and you're going dear. to bring it straight to Sheriff Tompkins. Ben, you have it all figured out, don't you? And it's working out just as you expected. Because when the sheriff tells Tom Barlow about the suicide note that was found at the bridge, you react just as your brother expected. But, Ellen, there's no need to worry. Now, 
With that suicide note found, the money's practically in our hands. I told you it was just as good as ours. But, Tom, why did you have to go put a mortgage on this house? Oh, don't you? You don't understand, dear. I needed the money now for that deal that I was working on. So why wait till the six months is up and lose out on a great opportunity? But, Tom, how can you spend money like this before you get it? But I'm not spending it, Alan. I'm investing it for our future and Judy's. Oh. Why, why, Mr. Peterson told me we'd be set up for life. And as for the mortgage, well, that's just a trifle. I can pay that back ten times over the day I get the $25,000. The day you get the $25,000, Tom. The day you get it. Will that day ever come? Ben waits in the lonely house at Guilford Inlet, enjoying reports of your spending, spending, spending money you haven't got. <laughs> yeah, set up ten beers for the boys, Joe. You bet it won't be long now. <laughs> and one ale for Jerry. Yes, sir. Oh, hi, Sheriff. What did you have? Uh, Tom. Tom, I've got to talk to you for a second. Well, sure, Sheriff. What's on your mind? Do you know a man named... Peterson? Peterson? Well, I sure do. Come on, have a beer, Sheriff. Have any dealings with him? Well, this is important, Tom. Well, yes, yes, I did. He came to see me with a mighty attractive proposition, and I, well, I placed some money in his hands. Very much money? All I could get my hands on. Mm, mighty attractive proposition. Yeah, that's not good. It, it's not good? No. Tom, this Peterson, as he calls himself, is a well-known New York crook. What? Real name's Clark, Pinky Clark. Deals in phony stocks and bonds. No. He's skipped town, and your money's gone with him. Tom, you've been swindled. So, Tom, now you know. The first blow has fallen. All your great dreams of wealth and affluence, gone in an instant. You were smart, weren't you, Tom? Very smart. Tom, why did you do it? Uh, I was so smart, Ellen. I was going to be rich and to be a big businessman. <laughs> Can you imagine me? I wanted to make you proud to be Mrs. Tom Barlow. Oh. Yes, I wanted you to walk down the street and have people point you out and say, Look, there goes Ellen Barlow. Oh, Tom. Guess I never meant to be anything but Tom, the taxi driver. You're right, Ellen. All along you were right. We should have withdrawn our claim like you said. Money's brought us nothing but trouble. Tom, how much do you owe the bank? Eighteen thousand. Eighteen thousand. Oh, Tom. Tom, we've just got to get that twenty-five thousand now. We've just got to. Yes, Tom, your situation is desperate now. You have to get that $25,000 now. It will just about pay off your debts, lift the mortgage on your house, and buy back the taxi. And then the real blow falls. The six months is up. It's the night before you're to claim the money, and it's dark and stormy. Another foreboding night like that one six months ago. And as you sit by your fireside, you're startled by a knock on the door. Hello, Tom. Well, I'm afraid I don't... Ben. Ben. Glad to see your old brother, Tom. Ben. I guess I'll have to invite myself in. Nasty night. Hmm. Nice little place you have here. Ben, what are you doing here? 
Now, that's a fine way to greet your brother after 20 years. Ben, what do you want? Still haven't changed, have you, Tom? Still hate your devoted brother, Ben. Well, Tom, it's taken 20 years. 20 years. But I've just about done it. Done what? Driver. Driver, is that Guilford Bridge up ahead? Huh? Stop when you get to the bridge, driver. I like walking. Ben. Don't you remember your old lucky passenger, Tom, huh? Ben, you were... The man in the cab. No. No, the man in the cab was drowned. They found a suicide note. <laughs> ben, it was you. Twenty years, Tom. Twenty years, and I've come back. So, money isn't everything, Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky. You'll find out, you and Ellen both. Right now, that 25000 is the most important thing in your life. And you're not going to get one red cent of it. I put it in your cab. I'm going to be at the sheriff's office with serial numbers and identification. Money isn't everything, eh? You married Ellen on a shoestring. You married the only woman I ever loved. You'll find out how important money is tomorrow morning. Now you know the whole plot, Tom. Now you know how you stand. The money you so desperately need is not yours and never will be. No need even to go down to the sheriff's office tomorrow morning. Because Ben will be there ahead of you. Unless... Unless... What if Ben didn't show up? What if Ben couldn't show up? Who would know but you? But that's murder you're thinking of, Tom. Murder. You've never done anything or thought anything like that. But tonight you're desperate and you think the whole thing out. It's simple, really. Ben's staying out at Guilford Inlet, alone in that big house. You can borrow the taxi back for a few hours and get out there. Drop his body in the inlet and... Yes, he's brought you to this, Tom. He's driven you to murder. A night just like the last time you drove out this way, isn't it, Tom? Stormy, dismal, dangerous. And you're driving faster than you should. You're almost to the bridge, Tom. Watch out. Uh, darn that windshield wiper, I can't... Good Lord. The bridge. It's out. The next morning, a man staggered into the sheriff's office at Marblehead to claim the $25,000. He was battered and bleeding and drenched to the skin, but he was alive and able to take the money and go home to his wife, Ellen. Yes, Tom Barlow was able to jump clear of his car as it crashed through the demolished bridge. He came back to the sheriff's office just because he wanted to make sure, and he was considerably surprised when Ben didn't show up. He found out later why. Because when they pulled his wrecked taxi out of the inlet under Guilford Bridge, they found a body close by in the debris-choked water, Ben Barlow. Ben Barlow driving the other way in the early dawn to claim the money and complete his revenge hadn't seen that the bridge was down either until it was too late.
Next Monday at 9 o'clock, the Signal Oil program will bring you another strange tale by The Whistler. The Whistler is brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal's famous go-farther gasoline and motor oil, and by your neighborhood Signal Oil dealer who is at your service daily to keep your car running for the duration. The Signal Oil program, produced by George W. Allen, with story by Louis Pelletier and Jacques Anson Fink, and music by Wilbur Hatch, is transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. Bob Anderson speaking for your friend, the Signal Oil Company, and suggesting once again that you let every go signal remind you that you do go farther with Signal Gasoline. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Oh, that's the Whistler. Good uh, twist ending there at the end, Lisa. From January 1st, 1945, two for the money, and Bill Foreman as the Whistler on that. Bill Foreman did a lot of uh, radio work. He was also the announcer on Phil Harris and Alice Faye, um, and he for many, many years he played the Whistler. Uh, you like that? I just want to be clear. Is yes. there like a twist ending on the Whistler, or is it just predictable? No, it's super twist ending. Okay, I just wasn't they clear on that. always had twist endings. <laughs> that was sponsored by Signal, as heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed the Whistler. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's more here on the WGN Radio Theater. Now, that's a good jingle right there. It's a great jingle. That is a good... What did we ever do without a jingle? Could you have made that jingle? I mean, it's your jingle company? <laughs> my jingle company. My jingle company is it's called Jingle All the Way. Is comprised of one person. Right. It's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's pretty good. That was a great it'd jingle. Be, uh, right it'd be there. tough to beat it. So you got a question for me? I do. So uh, I want to know what team you're rooting for because I know you're a big football fan mm-hmm. for the Super Bowl, which um, is today. I'm you know rooting- what time it starts? Four o'clock. Five thirty. The actual game starts yeah, at five thirty. But you're going to watch the halftime show with I'm, Shakira I'm and J Lo. My son and I are going to go by my friend Reed Stifle's house. Okay. We're going to watch the uh, the game. Have I think, some chicken wings I think or something. There's like <laughs> two different teams playing. Is that how it works? I don't know. Are there one team plays another team? You know and who's is it playing? That oblong ball. You tell me who's playing. You don't know? I don't, I don't follow football. I know I don't either, but how could you just not know? I know, I know the game is in Miami, right? Right. You know who's going to be singing the national anthem for um, the game? Wayne Mesmer? No, not this time. <laughs> Demi Lovato. Oh, yeah. She's good. Did you see her on the Grammys? No. Oh, wow. Did you watch the Grammys? No. Okay. She was fantastic. Really? She had this very if heartfelt song. If I was up song. for a Grammy, I would have watched it. Probably. She had this very heartfelt song that she wrote right before she went in for rehab, and yeah. she was very um, emotional, and she had to start over, and she was crying mm. the whole bit. But mm. she'll be singing the national anthem, and you know what's a good thing to do tomorrow hmm. because it's groundhog day we should watch the movie yeah i heard right? the, i, I heard a rumor that there's going to be a commercial with bill murray about ground the groundhog day there's gonna be like a, a tv commercial for what you know on the you know how there's always they have new tv commercials yes. on the super bowl right but what's the commercial i heard for? that bill murray filmed right. a tv commercial right this is a rumor now i don't know if it's true right that has to do with groundhog day like he's in his the movie you he's mean. in his uh oh, his you know his long jacket yes. and the whole thing and it's for some you know company i don't right. know 
And that's what I heard. Well, I think the best part of the game is probably the ads and the <laughs> halftime show. And what are you going to be doing? Are you having a party I'm that not, I did not get invited I'm to? I'm not having a party. If I had a party, I would are have you invited going by, you. You can come by Reed. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying home. <laughs> you and Dan come over by Reed. No, we're going to go. I'm just inviting you by, over to Reed's no, Stifle's house. That's okay. No, thank you. No. <laughs> I'll buy some great food and hang out with my dog. What should I bring? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm notoriously bad at bringing stuff over to people's house. Yes, you I'm, are. Uh, but well, I got I think, this reputation because there was nothing because open. Of me. I was driving over to Lisa's house the first time she bought a new house. Oh, there was something open. <laughs> and she, and she's like, come over, see my new house, and I'll make dinner. And I actually ordered, oh, no, did I cook that time or did I order in? You don't cook. Yes, I do. I I cooked for you. Dan on my, cooked the burgers. No, I cooked for you on my grill. Okay. And um, I there was nothing open on my way over there, so, there I, so I came empty-handed. Yes, you did. But that's not normally what I would do. No, normally well, I'll, I think chicken wings are some... probably the most popular yeah. dish. What should I bring over to Reed's house? Maybe um, like a vegetable tray would be oh, really, really nice. Idea. Like celery and carrots that's a good idea. and dip and cucumbers and yeah. things. So that's what that's I'm doing. Nice. What, are you going to watch the game? Um, You know, in and out. Mm-hmm. You know, here and there. I, I like. I'm definitely going to watch the halftime show. It'll be a lot of fun. You know, I I teased that I'm going to be doing a new time uh, radio show. I, te- I teased this a few uh, weeks ago on WGN, where I'm going to t- where I'm going to do. You know how I did the Fangorias and I did the Twilight Zones. Of course, well, I was there. I'm going to do a new radio re- a revival of a classic radio series, and uh, we are we're lining up the talent for it. Here I am. And you want to be in it, Lisa? Mm, you know. I'll think about it. I already landed the host of it. Did you land me? The, no. <laughs> the host. So are you ready, folks? I, I wonder if we should have a little drum roll. No, should are, we do a drum roll? Are you okay to divulge this well, information? Now that we have the host signed, we can okay. talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it'll be in variety. It'll be all, it'll be on. But I'm going to give my listeners a sneak peek. Okay. So what's the scariest radio show of the golden age of radio? The scariest radio well, show. Well, I'm not going to comment because know? I know what, well, what this what, is. What's the scariest radio show? Uh, it could be Suspense. No, that wasn't the scariest. It could be Lights Out. Yeah, Lights Out. <laughs> so I'm going to do a revival of Lights Out. Yeah. And we have <laughs> and we have a host for it. I know. And that host is Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker, who was on, um, he was on The Walking Dead. He was Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. And he's in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. He is the host of Lights Out. Yeah, I know. We're really, I'm excited about that. We're going to record them right here in Chicago at Noise Floor, which is the best studio in Chicago. We're going to do them there, and uh, amazing. Um, they're all going to have sound effects and original music, and we have uh, stars lined up for Will it. Will we be able to play some here on WGN? Yeah, I don't yeah. see why not. I don't see why yeah, not. We could probably do that. And just to let you know, we've got uh, very smart listeners who let us know that Bill, Mer- Bill Murray filmed a Jeep commercial last week in Woodstock. They did it all in one day, according to our listeners, and that's the commercial you're talking about. It's for Jeep. Oh, okay. Very cool. 
cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anyway, getting back to this Lights Out uh, show. So each hour, uh, each each show is going to be about 45 to 50 minutes. They're going to be longer than the original series. And these are going to be all brand new original stories. We're not going to take the original stories right. and redo them. It's going to be brand new stories by amazing writers. And here's the real cool twist to it. Twist. We're yeah. going to do each season, we're going to do six shows, and then we're going to have those six shows and sell it with a lights out comic book. And this is going to be a high end comic book. And we have the top writers and artists from the DC world and Marvel world. And we will have the six radio episodes fully, you know, with stars in them, Michael Rooker hosting it. And then we will have the comic book with it. And that'll have six different stories. So you'll be able to read six stories that are different from the audio and listen to the six stories. So yeah, that's going to be a package. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. We're going to start recording them. I have uh, writers working on the scripts right now, and uh, I just didn't want to mention it until I landed the uh, the guy we wanted. He was our first choice, Michael Rooker, who I love. He's amazing, tremendous actor, and he's just got the right tonality to his voice and everything. He's going to be great. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll let you audition. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Here <laughs> I am. What do you want me to do? <laughs> you know what, Lisa? You're in. All right. Because I know that you're a very, very good actress. Yeah. So you're in. Thanks. You've got a part. Thanks. You can hit, you could play a part in some maybe of them. a couple of lines at the end. Right, you could be like, you could be like, uh, am I going to die quickly? <laughs> I remember I did that one, Fangoria. I think I had a few lines and then I was dead. Yeah. Well, yeah. you were in the first part of it, and then yeah. And then, well, you know, a lot. You know, in these stories, people die. I mean, you know, yeah, I died pretty quickly stuff. though. Yeah, did you? I did. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm pretty uh, pretty excited yeah, about no, it. Yeah, I'm excited, I'm going to do six stories this, each season plus a comic book. So keep you posted on it, folks, and we'll play. We'll talk more about it as we're in production on it, about a revival of Lights Out. That's really exciting. Yeah, it's going to be cool. In our next, uh, in our next hour, we're going to tune into one of the best kind of drama adventure series, Escape. And it's from 1953, Edgar Barrier stars. And then after that, we have a detective adventure with the Falcon. Les Damon stars as Michael wearing the Falcon. So two more hours of classic radio coming your way. So stick around here on WGN, because when when we return, we will listen to Escape. Sounds like a cute little kitty cat there, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I think it's a boy. And you know that kitty cat. Yeah. Uses cat's pride. Oh, for sure. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> Folks, if your kitty cat doesn't use cat's pride, what are you waiting for? Switch over. It's the best. That's right. And Dan and Dave were here along with Jennifer, and they gave away two years. So, two winners. They each won a year's supply of cat's pride kitty litter. So, if you want to get your picture of your kitty cat in here for next month, you might be the winner. Just send a uh, photo of your kitty cat, email it to us at catspridephoto at gmail.com, along with all the pertinent information, like what your kitty cat's name is, what your name is, and your city and state. That's it. Yeah. 
And you might win a year's supply of Cat's Pride. That's a pretty great prize for anybody who has a cat. I would have to say. In this hour, <laughs> Escape from 1953, Edgar Barrier starring in radio's greatest series of high adventure. Escape was a lot like suspense, very similar. In fact, sometimes they had the same storylines, like the same script was used on both um, Escape and Suspense. The only thing, though, with Escape, Escape didn't have the big stars. Every once in a while, they might have a Vincent Price on there or whatever, where Suspense always had the big, big, big names, you know, the biggest names in Hollywood. Uh, Escape really hardly ever did that, I guess, because Suspense maybe had a bigger budget budget (laughs) because they had uh, a sponsor. You know, they always had, you know, your favorite potent potable Roma Wines. Right. That's a good one. Lisa never leaves the, her home Don't without, leave home without a couple it. of bottles. Kind of, of like American Express. A couple of bottles of Roma wines. Like when she gets in my car, when I pick her up for, for our carpooling here, she's always like, you want a bottle of Roma? Yeah, that's how I what? do the whole show, too, right? Like a bottle of Roma? Yeah. yeah she right. does it like that. She goes up on the Roma. It's like a little bottle of Roma. Mm. You know? And, and what I'm do you say like, you know, when I say that? At least I'm driving. Oh, okay. So, you know, just you can have my... Maybe later, during your nap. Yeah. <laughs> I take a nap. Have my Roma. I take a, my bottle of Roma wines home, and then uh, after I take a shower, drink a couple of uh, glasses, and go right to sleep. And then and get the, up about stay noon. Stay up for the Sinatra Get up about hours. noon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got to see Dave Plyer this week. Yeah, I heard about that. Board. Uh, we had a board meeting. Uh, here at WGN, but the board meeting was for the Museum of Broadcast Communications. I am very honored to be a new board member of the Museum of Broadcast Communications. They asked me to join, and I was absolutely flattered. That's very nice. Flattered. We had our first board meeting. It was a lot of fun. Good. Yeah. Um, all right. In this hour, escape. And then next hour, the Falcon. But uh, first, these words. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. So this is our Just the Facts segment. Sponsored by? Sponsored by Cat's Pride. Let me get to it. <laughs> Sponsored by Cat's Pride. And so we are going to be talking about the year 1953, which is the year of our escape episode that we are about to play. And the president was? Ay, jeez. I'm at Eisenhower? Yes. Was it? Yes. I swear I was a complete guest. Oh, no. I can tell by looking complete. at your face. Like, I'm shocked that yeah. I actually knew that. Yeah, that's great. Wow. So, uh, first, I think what we're going to do is hear the number one billboard song from 1953. This was from um, March 21st to May 15th, number one song. How much is that doggy wow. in the window? Right? You're kidding me. <laughs> the one with the this was the number one song from all that time? March, April, May. Several months. Several months of 1953. This version is Patty Page. That was the best-known version of the song. Uh, it was released remember, in um, Ray, January. Remember Ray Rayner? Of course. did he play this when, when Cuddly Dudley would come out? There was a different version. He would play... There were various versions. I think I there was remember. a different version of this song that would play. How much is yeah. that doggy in the window? Ruff, ruff. Yeah, and he'd come out 
Ray Rayner, man, that was. I remember do that remember show? Ray Rayner. Of do course, you remember. Of course, like getting up in the morning and watching Ray Rayner. Like I, do. I would be eating my breakfast. My mom would be like, "Come on, let's go. You got to go to school." And I'd be like, "Mama, come on, I want to watch Ray Ray Rayner." You know what I remember talking about eating breakfast, dumping out the whole box of cereal because I didn't really like cereal to get the I toy. Eat, I just wanted the stupid little toy in the bottom. You didn't and like they, the cereal? No, I didn't eat cereal. So your parents kept buying you. Cereal, well, even I though had you two threw other it all kids out? in the house, so it wasn't okay. me. I would dump it out, grab the toy, and then put it all back in the box. I can see you doing that. Well, who wouldn't? And then they would eat it, and they then be like, There's "Your brother, no... your brothers would be like, oh, the pretty soon we're going to get to the toy.' But Lisa <laughs> no already toy. got it. Already. There's never a toy in the box, and it was just like a puzzle or some little toy, <laughs> little or... tiny, silly yeah, little, little things. But action figure, or you know, something. it's a lot of fun to get free things. Gosh, Ray Rain, <laughs> that song Ray made Rainer. me think of Ray Rayner. Yeah, Cuddly S- Dudley. Cuddly, did you have a cuddly Dudley? I did. I had a cuddly Dudley. Yeah. And I know where it came from, too. Where? I had a cuddly Dudley. My dad got Weebles? it for me. No, from a bank. Oh, really? They were giving, I don't know, it was a cuddly Dudley. Yeah. Great big cuddly Dudley. Wow. Anyways, also in the same year of 1953, Coca-Cola mm-hmm. attempted to persuade the U.S. Treasury to mint a seven and a half cent coin. <laughs> a can of Coke. Seven and a half. Seven and a oh. half cents. Like from Pajama Game. Remember that song? No. Seven and a half cents. I don't. Okay, anyways. A can of Coke had been a nickel since 1886 and needed to be raised due to inflation, but they felt a dime was too much. So they really? voted for seven and a half, but it never, never happened. <laughs> That's so right? funny. You so you're you're saying a bottle of Coke, a can, or oh, a, a bottle? You know, it was a can. Well, In I don't 53, know. I'm guessing it was a bottle, a bottle of Coke. Okay, I don't I know. Don't know if they had it in cans back then. Could be. I wrote a Maybe. can, but that could, could be incorrect. Be. But right. no, so what I'm saying it was is seven it was and a half can cents. of Coke was a nickel. That's wow. correct. Wow. So yeah. Also, the first how issue do you get of- the half cent back if you give them eight cents? You don't. How does that work? That's just a tip then. For the person? I, I don't know, because it actually never came to pass. Okay. So I couldn't answer that. I can't project on that. The first issue of Playboy, which is published in 1953, featured who? On the cover? Mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe. Right, right. Yeah. It sold over 50,000 copies. Do you you probably still have yours, huh? No, I don't have mine, but I wish I did, because <laughs> it would be worth about $100,000. worth some good money. You yeah. don't keep it under the mattress? A, 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 a number one Playboy with Marilyn on the cover, I think, is worth over $100,000 in mint well, condition. Well, I'm sure there's some circulating around, but there are. most of them probably aren't what we call mint condition. No. But, mm-hmm. um there's gradations. Yeah, thereof. that was quite, you know, they weren't going to call it Playboy. They were going to call it something else. He, he like, I'm talking about Hugh Hefner now. He had a different name for the magazine, and then I think he was about to publish it, and then he got a cease and desist from somebody because they had that name, and so he then changed it to Playboy. Playboy. Well, um, the pictures of Marilyn Monroe that were featured were from her 1949 nude calendar yes, shoot. Yes, a calendar shoot, right. Yeah. Now, very, very wow. exciting. It was a big year. And then you know what else happened in 1953? Uh, what? There was an episode of Escape called yes. Jetsam. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> if you want to text us, folks, we're here for another couple of hours. Uh, 312-981-7200. We love hearing from you. Don't forget, go to our website at uh, 100radioshows.com and download your five free classic radio shows. Don't wait. Go there, uh, 100 Radio shows.com and if you decide to purchase any of the other shows available at that 
website. Use the promo code RADIO, and you will save 70% off your order. Yes? One of our listeners from 773 just texted in and said that you, Carl, have a very distinctive voice that sounds a bit like Paul Harvey. Oh wow, that's quite the compliment. It is. I don't. I don't know about and, that. But and, and now the rest of the story. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> well, thank her for me, or I'll thank her on the air myself. Well, I don't know if it's her oh, or him, but interesting that you thought it was her, her. or him from seven seven three saying that my voice sounds like Paul Harvey. Thank you very much. Um, that's quite the compliment. That might be the nicest compliment I've ever had, Lisa. It might be. So February 1st, <laughs> 2020, was the nicest compliment anyone's ever well, given actually, me. Actually, it's the second. Oh, it is the second. That's right. So you're very close, it's, though. It's li- it is Super Bowl Sunday already. It Happy is. Sunday to you, Lisa. So who's playing, Carl? I have no idea. <laughs> that cracks no me No idea. That's All right. Funny. Are you ready for escape? <laughs> yes, I am. All right. Radio's greatest series of high adventure, seven seasons on the radio, 1947 through 1954, William Conrad and Paul Fries took turns as the voice of Escape, and they often played roles, too. Um, again, this was like a cousin to Suspense, just not as uh, big a budget. So it had, um, you know, it had radio's regular supporting uh, people on this, like Harry Bartell, Joseph Kearns, Ben Wright, John Daner. And remember the beginning of these, tired of the everyday grind, ever dream of a life of romantic adventure, want to get away from it all, Lisa? Oh, yes. We offer you escape yeah it was a good a good series it's a great opener yeah, seven seasons that's that's pretty good all right well uh let's tune this in edgar barrier starring in jetsam february 8th 1953 uninterrupted here is escape tired of the everyday grind ever dream of a life of romantic adventure want to get away from it all We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are crouched in the center of a barren room. The heat of the tropics numbing your brain, your bare hands bleeding and torn. While facing you, his giant hands reaching for you, is the brute of a man whose life depends upon his killing you. Listen now as Escape brings you John Russell's unusual story, Jetsam. as the Crown and Anchor was much like any of its fellow establishments along the Sydney waterfront. It was noisy and ill-lit and always crowded with a clientele that worked hard at being boisterously happy. The liquor was cheap and potent and quickly available. At the Crown and Anchor, there was a little something for everyone. New acquaintances, male or female, old friends to be met, and, of course, arguments. 
those wonderful, time-consuming, liquor-bred arguments. What was that again? I said and I say again, you bloody English think you won the war yourself. Well, that's a filthy thing to say. Or maybe you won it yourself in your pretty little spiffer. Well, at least I didn't spend my time mucking about in the desert with Montgomery. Uh, No, you don't. Big lumbering <laughs> The fleet air arm has just collapsed. <laughs> Here, give me a hand, Alf. We'll Sorry, chuck him out the street. And now, sitting in the waiting room of Morley and Sons solicitors, Junior's Peabody couldn't remember too well everything that had happened. He remembered the crown at anchor and the man with a scarred face and waking at dawn on the cobbled street face down in the gutter. But he wasn't too clear on the reasons for it all. John will see you now, Mr. Peabody. Uh. Good morning, Junior's. Sit down. I, uh, I'm sorry about not keeping our appointment the other day, said John. It was almost two weeks ago, Junius. Yes, I'm sorry, sir. I wanted to see you because I've had another cable from your father. Yes, sir. Sent along a letter of credit, drawn in the amount of 50 pounds. From what he says in the cable, I don't think he expects you to come back to England. But the last time I wrote, I said I'd be home. I said I'd work for him there. Yes, I don't think that's of much interest to your father anymore. Would you care to see the cable? Um, no. No, thank you. Now, he also has instructed me to advance you no more money under any consideration. So I'm not to be a remittance man after all. Junius, do you have any plans? I have no plans. Well, what about your commission? Who can use a 35-year-old flyer, one that can't even hold a rum glass steady? Yes, and that's something else, Junius. This drinking of yours... This is going to be a lecture, Sir John? Well, in a sense, yes. Now, ever since the war, you've done your best to become an alcoholic. Why? Why does anyone drink? Well, may I tell you why I think you do? The war. We're still fighting it. Still in a Singapore prisoner of war, Captain. Yeah. And you were a good officer and a good pilot, I'm told. You could have gone on if you'd let yourself. Why can't you forget what's behind you? Forget what you went through. Others have? This is a lecture, isn't it? Well, you came to Australia to war's end. You have done a lick of work since. Now, really, you lived as well as you could in the money your father sent out here. You've held only one position in all that time, and that you managed to keep for just three weeks. I was out sick in a hospital. Oh, you were dead drunk in a back street house. I was out sick. <laughs> Call it what you want. But don't use the war as an excuse for your own shortcomings. Oh, it must be very fine to be successful and smug and righteous. Now, Junius, listen to me No, for I won't. I'm sick to teeth of men like you and my father. Preaching, moralizing. I'm tired of the lot of you. Now, if you'll be good enough to give me that letter of credit, I will get out of your office. Now, you're talking like a child, The Junius. letter, please... Yeah? Oh. Junius, where are you going? 
For as long as my money holds out, Sir John, I shall be at the noisiest, filthiest, and most enjoyable bar in Sydney. And that was the start of a most colossal binge for Junius Peabody. The entries were badly blurred, but he could trace himself up through Brisbane, Port Moresby, Macau. There were assorted voyages and counter-voyages, women's faces, and the cloying aroma of heavy perfumes. There was a hectic session when he and a Norwegian schooner captain hit the bank at Fantan and swore eternal friendship amid champagne baskets. And it was this same captain who landed him finally, the champagne baskets having been emptied, on a small island. And it was on this island that he found a bar where a tall, cynical white man by the name of Bendemere cashed in the remains of the dwindling letter of credit for the last magnificent splurge. And now, weeks after leaving Sydney, Junius awoke on the wide sandy beach watching the dawn spread over the butternut sea. Hello. Hmm? You don't happen to have a flask or anything handy about you. Oh, if I had one, it would be empty. Shame it is. I've a notion I'm about to have the fantods. The what? Fantods, you know, the creepers. Oh. Yeah. I could use a bracer myself. I'm the Sydney Duck. Your name's Peabody. That's right. <laughs> it wasn't half a party you give last night at the Bendemere's. The, uh, Bendemere's? It seems to me I was thrown out of there last night. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. You was, and me, and the big Dutchman, Willems. But it was your fault. You started playing Chuck Farvin among his bottles with a bunch of copper spikes. I've never seen a man hold his liquor worse. Well, I paid for it, didn't I? It was my money, and heavens knows you had your share of it. Well, Lord love you, chum, that I did. Hey, seeing as he threw us out, I... I suppose your credit's gone. I imagine. Sydney? Yes? What is this place? This is a beach, chum. And the island's Fufuti. <laughs> and what the devil's Fufuti? 3,000 miles from the nearest pub. <laughs> oh. I, well, I, I did have some cufflinks and things. I wonder what became of them. Hey, uh, hey you got any smokes left? Oh. Uh, here. Thanks. Thanks. Well, you're on the beach now, matey, that's for certain. And you won't like it, you won't. Do you? Me, I'm used to it. But look at your hands. Although you never did a day's work in your life with them soft hands. You was probably a gentleman. But you're a beachcomber now, mate. You're a lousy beachcomber. And you needn't expect me to do no begging for you. For I won't know for you. Junius turned and examined the features of the Sydney duck who was hunched on the sand beside him. The prominence of the nose and upper lip the thin pink ears, the jutting teeth that gave him the feeble ferocity of a rat. And at the same time, he was conscious of himself, only in a different way. Here was Junius Peabody, washed up on the beach at the far edge of the world, like any other bit of useless jetsam, to stay and to rot. 
pretty low. Oh, it ain't so bad. Nobody starves here. That's one thing. You can always fall in with a wedding or a birthday or something. Or maybe you come across a new chum with a bit of brass. Some flat who's willing to stand the drinks. Like me? Oh, there's plenty like you. The pearl fishing brings them in, you see. When they're stony like you, they usually take a job till they get a chance to get away again. That is, if they're able to do anything at all. What can you do? That's a good question, Sidney. Well, what can you do? I can fly a spitfire and I'm a good judge of French brandy. Huh. That's not much, is it? Not much. Hey, hey. Yeah, what's the game? I'm Where going, are you going? I'm going to take a swim. Have you had yours yet? Oh, 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 oh. Morning bath on the beach at Fufuti. Well, you can't tell, Sidney. You might like it. Ah, oh, gone. Can't prove that water ever helped anybody. Hi. You really are going in. Yes, I really am. Keep an eye on my thing, Sidney. Oh, right you are, me lord. Hope the bath ain't too cold, me lord. Oh, oh, <laughs> Junius walked down the sand alone to the water's edge and stood looking out to where the sun sent a long, glittering path toward him across the morning sea. And he was suddenly conscious that he made an ugly figure under the clear light. He moved out into the water till it reached his knees. Then something bumped against his shin, nearly tripping him. He could see the object floating nearby. It was a rough lump of some substance, grayish-brown, the size of a boy's football. He picked it up. To the touch, it was greasy. Sydney! Sydney Duck! What? Come down here to the surf a minute. I'm close enough now. You got something to show me? Bring it here. This was floating about in the water. I think I know what it is, but I can't quite believe it. Think you know what what is? This. Sit up and have a look at it. Hey, boy, the great Lord Harry. It's the stuff. Look at it. All smooth and greasy-like. Oh, we ain't struck it rich nor nothing. Oh, no, not much. But uh, shouldn't there be an odor, a a perfume? That comes later when it's not so fresh, and anybody else would not. Hey, what could this be but... Ambergris, worth nearly two pounds an ounce. Right here on for foodie. Here, here, let me take a feel of it. Two pounds an ounce. Ambergris is right as rain. And there must be eight, ten pounds here. And half of it's mine. What? I say half of that's mine. Ain't I been padding along with you? Wasn't I here? It's a fair divvy. I want me half. Your half? <laughs> Nothing small about you, is there? No, my lad, this is my insurance off this island. I'll give you whatever I don't need. Oh, no, Mr. Peabody, you wouldn't forget an old friend who came to your side when you was on the beach, would you? Why, you dirty old windbag. You'd just be happy if you get anything. Mr. Peabody, I know a gentleman like you will do the right thing. Yes, well, don't you worry, Sidney. You just... (laughs) (laughs) Now, lie cozy, Mr. Peabody. It's a real shame to see a gentleman like you lying all stretched out in the sand. But since you're there... I'll just relieve you of this insurance of yours. And now, I bid you a respectful good day, Mr. Peabody. Why Junius Peabody hadn't been killed by the Sydney Duck's blow at the base of his skull was hard to understand. 
But it was only a matter of minutes later that he presented himself at Bendemeyer's saloon and general store. It was the only place Junius was known on the island of Fufuti. And Bendemeyer was the local authority. He was at once the best loved and the best hated individual, being police, landowner, merchant, trader, and purveyor of bad alcohol. Junius stood a moment, trying to get his breath, and then... I've been robbed. So? The property of mine has been stolen. Money, this was? N no, not money. Then what do you care? What do I care? What are you talking about, man? What was this property you lost? Well, that's not important to you. I want to know if you're going to do anything about it. No. Why should I? But you're the only authority on the island. That's right. Who was the man who stole from you? Sidney Duck. He hit you and ran off? Yes. I could help you, but I won't. What? I've seen too many of your kind here on the beach. Drift stuff that gets washed in. You're not worth it. All right, I'll do this myself since you won't help. Where are you going? I don't know, but this island isn't so big I can't find the Sydney Duck. You go alone to retake this property of yours? Since I must, yes. You're a fool. They'll probably kill you. Well, they'll probably... They? Those that live at Tenpo Head. That's where the Sydney Duck will be now. That's where they all go when they must hide because of some minor lawlessness. The Sydney Duck has something of mine and I'm going to get it back. And when I do, I'll be in to see you to talk business. I still think you're a fool. Bendemir, last night you cashed in the last of my letter of credit. That's right. You were glad enough to help me then. You had money. That's the only drive you have. Money? It's the biggest. But let me tell you more. I don't mind helping a man who is worth something. A man who wants to help himself but you. I know your kind. You're filled with rum and useless. You're jetsam. You always will be. You're very sure, aren't you? I know your kind. Pitying yourself. Thinking no one understands you or your problems. So you swill in rum in order to hide. You always will. I'm going out to Tembo Head. And I'll be back. I'll give you a drink if you get back. It took the better part of two hours for Junius to work his way over the lava cliffs and crevices, knife-like and treacherous, to Tenbo Head, or what was better known as The Rocks. And here, his fingernails bleeding, his clothes torn, Junius finally found the Sydney Duck and Willems. They were seated on a small ledge, half hidden by pandanus leaves, overlooking the blue Pacific 30 feet below. Between the hulking German and the little Sydney Duck was the prize, his prize. The grey-brown ball now enclosed in a torn fishnet. Empty-handed, there was no way to take the ambergris from the two of them. Junius crouched low behind the foliage, thinking. And then a plan came to mind, so simple, that Junius smiled. With a rush, he cleared the foliage, and stooping, clutched the filled net with one hand. Then, before the two startled men could more than cry out, he dove into the ocean, thirty feet below.
Stand him here. Coming. I was out in the storeroom and I... Peabody. That's right. I'm back. Yes, so I see. But not in good condition. It'll do. You needn't stare. I'm a paying customer now. As how? Ambergris. My property. Over ten pounds of it. What? Was it this the Sydney Duck robbed you of? That's right. And you went out to the rocks to get it back from him yourself? From them. Willems, the German, was with him. By yourself? You did this? Look, there's the stuff. Now about that business proposition. Concerning this? Right. How much do you want for it? A thousand silver dollars or two thousand chili. I don't have that much about me. Suppose we say a standing credit for a thousand drinks instead. I want money, not liquor. It amounts to the same thing. By the time you drunk yourself to death, I'd simply have the money back again. No, it doesn't, because I'm going to leave this island. And to do that, I need money. So let's talk business, Bendemir. Not yours to sell, you ruddy thief. What? Mr. Bendemir, this man here. This Peabody robbed me and my partner, Williams, of that what's lying on your counter there. And if you want to do business, it should be with Williams and me. Yeah, that's right. That's ours. Now, what do you give us? I've been told it's not yours. Sydney, you're a lying little cheat. You know, that's mine. I found it. That belongs as the Sydney duck. That's a lie. Don't, Don't tell me how I quiet, all of you. Oh, Mr. Benjamin, after all, it's, it's, it's our word against this, and that there are two of us. But what if two of you are lying? How do you suggest it be settled? <laughs> Fight for it. Yeah, fine. We'll, we'll go outside, the three of us, and whoever comes back in, it's, it's rightly theirs. Yeah, good. The minute I set foot outside that door, you'd have a knife in my back. Oh, you don't sound as brave as you did before, Mr. Peabody. Not against the two of them. I'm not a fool, that's all. Against uh, one, perhaps... Villains? Why not? <laughs> After all, you could kill Sydney with one blow. You must hate people. Just weaklings. All right, I'll fight. And if I win? I'll buy from you. Sydney, sit down in that chair where I can keep an eye on you. Yes. Now give it to him proper, Williams. There are no rules. Go ahead. You're big and stupid, Willems. As a... <laughs> now that's enough for you, no? see it is easily settled. Sydney Duck. Yes? Get your friend out of here. I have business to discuss with Mr. Peabody. You feel better now that you are bathed and huh. whole again, huh? Now let's get on with it. 
I want money for this stuff. I want to leave this place as soon as possible. You can only get off this island when and how I allow you. You see, mine is the only boat, the likely Jane. You can see her through the window there. A brandy? I had my final drink in this place last night when you threw me out. Sure? Quite. Uh, well, just in case. Now, let me suggest my plan. The island of Nukava, which I own, is well planted with coconut crop. However, Nukava is on the edge of the earth, the farthest corner, and the loneliest, and the driest. There are 12 Kanaka boys there, but I need an agent, someone <clears throat> I can trust. Why do you tell me? A white man could live there if he wanted to, and if he were fit to live at all. Of course, once he was there, he'd be stuck for a year on a coral gridiron. There's not a drop of anything to drink, save water. And that is brackish. Look, Bendemir, what about this amber grease? I've got more than ten pounds of it. Will you buy it? You can't very well take it anywhere else if I wouldn't buy it, can you? Now, I'll make you an offer. I'll buy this lump of stuff from you, and I'll buy it either two ways. I'll give you a half interest in Nukaba, and you go there at once to take charge as agent or else... Here is the first of your brandy, and I'll keep you perpetually drunk as long as you last. Nakava. Once you're there, Peabody, there's no escape. You'll sit and fry. What for? Why do you offer me a choice like this? Because Why? it amuses me. Because I please. Because... Uh, I know what you'll do. Yes? I've been watching men of your sort all my life. And I know just what they're worth. Drift on beaches... Scraps, trash, jetsam, regeneration, ugh, rotten drivel. You can't save yourself any more than you could lift yourself by your own bootstraps. It suits me to prove you this way. Uh -huh. There's your stinking brandy on the floor to say that you're wrong, Bendemir. You lose. Oh, so? Yes. I'll go to Nukava. As my agent? Yes. You'll stay and run the island for a year? Yes, if only to prove there are some scraps thrown on the beach that are worth something. Eh, so I see. Eh, so I see. The likely chain will sail within an hour. Yes, I'll be aboard. An hour or so later, as Bendemir watched the likely Jane set a course for Nukaba, there was a smile on the face of that remarkable man, curiously unlike that of a loser's chagrin. He was still smiling as he went back to his storeroom to put the place to rights. There was a clutter of odds and ends of cargo from one of his surf boats, which had upset the day before while hauling cargo out to his schooner. Most of it had been salvaged by his Kanaka boys along the shore. But a certain tub containing tallow had lost a part of its contents. However, he was able now to restore the missing tallow. A large lump, weighing perhaps ten pounds or so. <laughs>
Under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you Jetsam by John Russell, adapted by Norman MacDonald and starring Ben Wright. Featured in the cast were John Daner as Ben Demere, Lawrence Dobkin as Sir John, and Charlie Lung as the Sydney Duck. The narrator was Edgar Barrier. Editorial supervision is by John Meston, and the special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week... You are standing in inky blackness, looking up a long flight of stairs, at the top of which looks something unbelievably evil, while in the moving shadows behind you, coming closer to you, is the shadowy figure of something that could only come from a nightmare. So listen next week when Escape brings you Anthony Ellis' terrifying story, I Saw Myself Running. This is Roy Rowan speaking. America now listens to 105 million radio sets and listens most to the CBS Radio Network. Now, that was a really good episode, Lisa. Escape from February 8th, 1953. Jetsam, narrated by Edgar Barrier. But a lot of great actors in this particular episode, including John Daner. John Daner was on everything. He was paladin on Have Gun, Will Travel. Um, you also heard Lawrence Dobkin, William Conrad, Ben Wright, Charlie Long. He he smoked a lot, that Charlie Long, and when he would cough, they'd say, man, you're coughing up a lung. Charlie Long that's, guy. That's not funny. It was kind of a reach, right? Yeah. Too far of a reach. Yeah, but not only that, what? that's just not funny to be smoking and coughing. I know, but it's not good. saw Charlie Long and it just... Yeah, you could do better. All right. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not always... My jokes aren't always... You know, fall over or laughing. They're not? Know. Well, for me, they are, <laughs> okay. but anyway. Right. Long, like Dan Long. Yeah, Dan Long. February 8th. No, Long, L U N G. I know, but you changed Lung. it to Long. No, I said coughing up a Lung. Oh, right. Yeah, February 8th, 1953, Escape. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, you know what? We have the Adventures of the Falcon in our next hour. That'll be good. Good detective adventure. Um, did you like that Escape Rock? Yeah, it was Pretty great. good, right? Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break, and then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. There's another great jingle, Lisa. Did yeah. you do that jingle? I didn't. Your jingle company? But jingle all the way? If they had asked me, I'm sure I would have come up with a great jingle as That's well. That's a really good That's jingle, That's a great too. one, too. You know, I saw, I took my son last night, we saw a fantastic movie. I think our listeners would love it. Yeah. 1917. It got great reviews. I didn't see it. It's not, I don't think it's my kind of movie. No? uh, No, it's like a war movie, right? It is. (laughs) Yeah, it's a war movie. (laughs) It's not my kind of movie. It was a World War I movie, and it was amazing. No, I I know it's supposed to be great. Yeah. got great reviews. We, you know, I mean... It, it is. It's just. It's very different. I've never yeah. seen a movie well, quite like this movie. 
because it's all it literally happens in one take the entire mm-hmm. movie two hours but i know i could tell where there was you know a break you know where they but they would literally so if you watch the movie it it's all linear it there's no jumping to another scene or like you know when you watch a movie like something else is happening and you go right. to a different location it's not like that it starts out you know here and in 2 hours these two main characters um end up so it's in real time. It's in saying. real time. I gotcha. No, but I'm, what I'm saying <laughs> yeah. though is, like, there's no jumping around to some other yeah. scene. It is, li- it is literally one take. Yeah, I it's understand. It's shot to look like it's one take from f- for two hours. Yeah. I've never seen anything no. quite like that. I saw a couple of shows this week. I saw How a Boy Falls at Northlight, and Once on This Island, which was at the uh, Cadillac Palace Theater. And this week, I have Riverdance, which is also a Broadway and Chicago show, and Bug, which is uh, at Steppenwolf, and no. written by Tracy Lutz. Sorry, I, huh, what? 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 Did you say something? No, I'm kidding. I'm kind of more into I, the know, theater here's scene, the thing. you know? Here's the thing. Lisa loves the theater. I do. I, I always tell you I saw a great show. I saw an eh show. I can't. I can't stay awake in a theater. <laughs> you know, when there's a play going on, I can't. If it's I a great play, you I would stay can't awake. stay awake. You know what? I'm really most excited to go see Bug. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Tracy Letts. I mean, he's fantastic. Carrie Coon, which is his wife, is starring in it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's Wednesday at Steppenwolf. I'll let well, you know. Well, that'll be really good. That's going to I mean, be Steppenwolf great. Steppenwolf has Taking such great Taking my son. So it's, it's going to be great. Plays. But for some reason, I go in there, and then the lights the dim. Lights, well, it's no I'm, different than a movie for you, right? I'm out. Do you stay awake in a movie? Well, you and I and my sister and Dan, we went to see something. Remember? Remember we all went? No, we no, went not the, a movie. Oh, what are you talking it's about? A theater. Oh, we saw, yeah. And I took my daughter, mm-hmm. took Rachel. Yeah, it was a Broadway and Chicago play. It was... Um, and it was great, and it was great. And guess what? I was sleeping. Yeah. During it. I honestly can't remember which show it was. Rachel but I was remember, like, Dad, wake up. I remember doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went with Carlene. I, maybe yeah. the seats shouldn't be so comfortable, you know? They um, have like these padded seats and I'm it out. It must be the seat's fault. Yeah. Can't what, be. You. It's what it is. I think it's... Or like, either that or maybe you need to take a nap during the day. You, you've come to that, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me. I, I like a nice little... Take a little, little snooze. A nice little o'clock. nap is nice. <laughs> you know what? I uh, Lisa got me hooked on a new Netflix series. And yes. I don't know how new it is. It's like two years old. It's a it's right. a it's a Netflix no, it's it, it started series. in 2018 called the Kaminsky Method. Kaminsky Method. Is that method. what you're talking about? Yeah. So she was like, "You got to watch this series. You'll like it." And I started watching it last week. And at first, it was a little bit slow. I was like, you know, I'm like, I see. I loved every minute of it. And but, then okay. it kicks in, and it's really good. It's great. So, folks, if you want to see a good comedy drama, it's like a comedy drama dramedy. It, it is. This is starring Alan Arkin and Michael Douglas. Uh, they yeah. have great comedic timing. They have a great bond. Michael Douglas um, is great on it, and so is Alan Arkin. And then everybody, I believe that Michael Douglas uh, won some type of award for this show. On yeah, the well, Emmy. he's one of the producers of it, too. Yeah. He's but great there's in a it. lot of stars in it. There's oh, uh, yeah. Paul Reiser Tons. and Chuck Lorre and Jane Seymour. Yeah. Um, a lot of great... Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito is in it. Yeah, he there's plays a lot of his... Great, uh, Paul Reiser is a, is a fan favorite. Favorite. I'm telling you, as soon as he comes on, Carl, 
that that's it. You are you're going to be hooked. So it's two seasons so far. They're starting the third season. It'll be the fall of 2020. I'm up to episode seven, or they call there's, them chapters. There's eight episodes or eight chapters in each season. In season one. But they're very short. They're like 23 minutes yeah, apiece. They are. Yeah. So it goes by very quickly. Keep so going. Michael Douglas plays a uh, aging actor who now has. A um, acting studio. Yes, an acting studio. He's teaching students how to act. And his daughter works there, played by Sarah Baker. Do you know her? No, I don't know her from anything. She's great on it, though. She is great. And it's really... Wait till you you meet her boyfriend. It's on Netflix, so Kaminsky Method. Yeah, check it out. It's great. I think you'll like it, folks. Really. And And it's like, you know, it's like... Night, good humor. It's not like it is. raunchy or anything. I hate those raunchy shows. I like a nice. This is this is great. This is really. I really know. Good. I I know what you I like. I liked it a lot. All right, uh, coming up in the next hour, the Falcon with Les Damon. So don't go away because we'll be back here on WGN right after these words. Hour five of the WGN Radio Theater. We're here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. In fact, next week, Lisa, we start right at 10. Right. Yeah. So we're actually going to have our full five-hour show, yes, which is great. Yes, we will. We've got some great radio shows next week, too. But in this hour, we will tune in to The Adventures of the Falcon, starring Les Damon. That's coming your way in just a few minutes. Don't forget, folks, you can go to our website, 100radioshows.com, and uh, get five free shows. That's right. Five shows are waiting for you absolutely free no strings attached they're yours for listening to this radio show it's our way of thanking you richard diamond private detective fibber mcgee and molly jack benny Gunsmoke, and suspense right lisa (laughs) just wondering if you were going to remember all of them yeah no these are uh, these are great radio shows mike digitally remastered them And uh, when you go to the website, 100radioshows.com, you can just put your email address, and within like five seconds, you're sent the five shows, all in one email, five links. The links never expire. Listen to them whenever you want. And at that site, there are seven collections with 100 radio shows in each. One of them, Lisa, is a Christmas show, all Christmas, 100 Christmas shows. There's a comedy, detective, mystery, western um, there's and a, a drama shows. and a greatest shows. That's yeah. right. Seven different collections, a hundred shows in each, all digital uh, downloads. And when you uh, decide to buy any of them, if you do, those will also be sent to you instantly. You don't have to get them in the mail. They'll come to you through your email right away within a few seconds. But make sure you use the promo code radio. That's right. Radio at checkout because you will save 70% off your order. So don't forget, if you buy anything at 100radioshows.com, use the promo code radio and save a bunch of money, 70%. All right, the Falcon is coming your way, but first, just the facts, but first, these words. It was no chance encounter. Alligator Rob reveals the secret tool he used to capture Chance the Snapper last summer in Humboldt Park. Monday on WGN-TV News at 9. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. (laughs) 
This is our Just the Facts segment. We are going to be... Sponsored by... Cat's Pride, yes, for indeed. sure. Don't forget that. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> My goodness. We are do you want go- a paycheck this week? <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> we are going to be playing the Falcon this hour, which is from 1950. So I thought I'd offer you a couple of quick... Facts from yeah. 1950. Really? First, we had... How quick are they? Oh, they're pretty quick. All right. You want them quick? No. You don't like it quick? No, I mean, it's fine. Just <laughs> okay. the facts. Okay. I'll take them uh, quick, slow, fast, however You'll you want to... take wanna... them any way I want to give right. them. That's right. You're right. So there was a groundbreaking show that started in 1950, which we will hear right now. Hello, Mother. I want to thank you for the beautiful birthday present. Oh, it's just... Gorgeous! I can't wait to wear it. Oh, I got lots of nice things. Emily sent me some handkerchiefs, and Martha sent me some gloves. So this was your show of shows yeah, with Sid, Sid Caesar, Caesar and Imogene Coca, which yeah. premiered on NBC wow. in 1950. It was everybody was watching that Did show. You, I mean, everybody. Well, I wasn't around in 1950. I, I know, but that was like the show. It that was the, was the show. show. Of shows. It was on NBC. It was on um, from 1950 through June 5th of 1954. I think it was a full hour. It might have even been 90 minutes. It was a minutes. 90 minute yeah. variety show. Okay, that's what I thought. And um, it had some of the writers were oh, Mel yeah. Brooks sure. and Neil Simon and Carl Reiner, who was also yep. a cast member. And Carl Reiner stated that the time he spent on your show of shows was the inspiration for the Dick Van Dyke show. You know, most people named Carl are just, you know, amazing. Most, yeah. but that's where we fall short. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I bring the bar down. We're going to leave yeah. it at most and move on from there. Right, right. Uh, the telephone answering machine was created by Bell Laboratories in 1950. It was? It was. Wow. What would we do without an answering machine? Yeah. Although we don't really use remember home phones like anymore. The, but... Remember like the old answering machines way back when they had little tape recorders Yeah, you in rewind them and stuff, it again. Right? <laughs> little miniature uh, tape recorders yes. in there, little cassettes. I remember rewinding Gosh. it to I remember pagers. Yeah, I had well, a that pager was before cell phones. And then my first like portable cell phone was in a bag. I used to carry yes, it in a in bag. In a bag, and you put it in your car, like the whole bag. And then I had one in my car, like, you know, hot wired into my car. Know, Gosh, man, I'm really old. I know. Gosh. <laughs> And then one more thing that's kind of funny. If I Ran the Zoo was a book published by Dr. Take Seuss. Take it to the zoo. In 1950. What movie is that from? But wait, Take I... it to the zoo. You know it? Goodfellas. No. Rocky. Oh. Rocky. Oh. And go ahead. What okay. now? Sorry. So If I Ran the Zoo by Dr. Seuss was published in 1950 and is also the first recorded instance of the word nerd. Nerd. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nerd. Right. And now, I don't know. It's not really much used anymore, what, is it? Wasn't nerd like made really popular from like... Um, the candy? No, no, no. The TV show Welcome Back, Cotter. Yeah. Did they say nerd on that a lot? No, no. Nerd was on, was, was on um, oh, the Fonz, with the Fonz. He was what? always like, well, you're a nerd. Yeah. Happy days? Happy, Happy days. days. Yes, yes. Nerd was... That well, was, that was many I years think that past. might have been the first show that I ever heard the word nerd. Well, apparently this was the first book. Um, 1950. 1950. Wow, I had no idea. Right. If someone would say... When was nerd first used? I'd say 60s or 70s. And this is there. There you go. 1950. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I don't think that word is used much today anymore. Very interesting. It is. I know. 
Wow, Lisa Wolf. All right. I want to remind all of our listeners to check out the Classic Radio Club. You should join. You'll get 10 classic radio shows sent to you each and every month, either on CD or via digital download. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. Be one of the cool kids. Join the club. Lisa's a club member. Mike's a club member. I'm a club member. Uh Well, it kind of lost his panache right there. but (laughs) (laughs) We have hundreds and hundreds of our listeners are club members. Yeah, so check it out, ClassicRadioClub.com. Get the greatest classic radio shows, 10 of them, sent to you each and every month, along with digital, uh, either digital or CD, and you'll get liner notes that I write about each and every show. And Mike digitally remasters them. They sound amazing. Okay, are you ready for The Falcon? This series came to radio back in 1943, had a pretty long run, lasted all the way to 1954. It was a detective series created by Drexel Drake, and it followed the adventures of Michael Waring. He was a private eye, and it was originally sponsored by Gem Blades, along with Kraft and then General Mills. And there was a series of popular Falcon movies that starred John Calvert. And then on radio, he was played by a few different actors. Michael Waring was played by Barry Kroger, Les Tremaine, and Les Damon. There was two Leses that played. Uh, does that make it more? If you have two Leses, is it more? Two Leses makes more. Right. And then there was a short-lived TV series starring Charles McGraw. But we have Les Damon starring in this episode of The Falcon from November 5th, 1950, called The Case of the Rich Racketeer. Here is uh, an uninterrupted broadcast now of The Falcon. The Kraft Foods Company brings you The Adventures of the Falcon, starring Les Damon. Hello? Yes, this is the Falcon speaking. Oh, June. I was just thinking about you, Angela. The theater tonight? No, I'm sorry, I'm working on a case. Of course, I know those tickets were hard to get, but so was the murderer. And I've got a date with one in exactly half an hour. This is Ed Hurley, friends, inviting you on behalf of the Kraft Foods Company to listen to The Adventures of the Falcon. You met the Falcon first in his best-selling novels. Then you saw him in his thrilling motion picture series. Now join him on the air when the Falcon solves... The Case of the Rich Racketeer. Before we join the Falcon in his latest adventure, I'd like to tell you folks about Kraft's golden cheese food, Velveeta. Velveeta is such good eating. Just taste that grand, rich, yet mild cheddar cheese flavor. And Velveeta is so good for you. It's rich in important food values from milk itself. For swell-tasting snacks, for good, hearty sandwiches, for thrifty, easy, hot dishes, it's smart to keep stocked with Velveeta. Get it tomorrow in the handy quarter-pound package or in the economical two-pound loaf. The cheese food of top quality. Velveeta is made only by Kraft. And now, the case of the rich racketeer. It's Sunday afternoon in New York City. 
A cab pulls up in front of a large Central Park West apartment building and two men get out. One of the men is big, beefy, and florid, while the other is slim and quick-moving. The two men hurriedly enter the building and ride the elevator up to the 10th floor, where florid face leads the way to one of the apartments and opens the door. Plo? Hey, Plo? I guess my wife's not home yet. Come on, Garland. Come on in. Let's get this over. Excellent idea, Sullivan. Excellent. Wait there and leave your hat and coat on. Won't take me but a second to write a check. Check? Yeah, check. I think I'd rather have cash, Sullivan. I was much too good in court this afternoon to warrant a check. Okay, so you were good. You were swell. You were better than usual. And you're still the best business finagler in New York. But you're going to get a check. Finagler is a nasty word. Almost as nasty as racketeer. Yeah, but racketeer is better, Garland. You see, in my business, you don't have to pretend to be something you're not. But you do have to be smart. Yeah, that's right. You have to be smart. Now then, here's your check. Take it and blow. I got a date in a little while. Only a thousand dollars? You're lucky to get that much. Hey, hey, don't tear that up. Why, you cheap chiseling punk. I saved your fat neck this afternoon. An income tax evasion charge is the only way they catch guys like you. And I cleared you. I got you off scot-free because there wasn't any evidence of the money you made. They could have ruined you. Yeah, but they didn't. No, they didn't. And I'll tell you why they didn't. Because I advised you not to keep any records or books. I told you to keep your profits on hand in cash and not to keep it in any banks. So what? So I want my share now and I want it in cash. I know you've got more than 300 grand salted away. You're crazy, Garland. No, no, I'm not. I know you've got that money, Sullivan, and I want my share. I want it right now and fast. I want $30,000, and I want it in cash. Why, you stupid little... Say, hey, that's the way you want to play it, huh? That's the way, Sullivan. I'm not bluffing. It's loaded, and I'm not afraid to use it. So if you want to enjoy your freedom, hand over the 30 grand. Now, look, Garland, be reasonable. Put that gun away. Not a chance. But you're wrong. I swear you are. I'm broke. That $1,000 check I just wrote will practically wipe me out. (laughs) You expect me to believe that? It's true. Now, listen, I know you deserve a bigger fee, but I can't give it to you now. Later, I'll try... Oh, quit stalling, Sullivan. Where's the money? I know you got it. I dumped it in an oil deal out west. I thought I could really clean up, but something went wrong. (laughs) You never took a chance in your life, and an oil well is a gamble. You're a sure thing player. Come on, Sullivan. Getting tired of holding this gun. Where's my $30,000? I tell you, Garland, Get it quick, Sullivan, or I'm going to pull this trigger. What the... Larry, what in the world? Look out, Flo. It's done, Mike. No, you don't. Oh, yes, I do. Oh. Oh. That's better. I'll just keep this gun as a souvenir. Now get out of here before I break it over your head. What's going on here, anyway? Shut up. Okay, Garland, get going. You made a mistake, Mr. Sullivan. A big mistake. I want that 30 grand, and I intend to get it. That little bum might have killed me with his gun if you hadn't opened the door and banged into him. That's too bad. If I'd known, I'd have waited outside in the hall. What? You heard me. What's eating you? You are. Come on, come on. Spill it. What's on your mind? A blue-eyed, baby-faced little blonde named Bonnie Shaw. Bonnie? What are you talking about? Get wise to yourself, Larry. Did you really think you were kidding me? 
Don't you think I know where you've been spending your evenings? Now, wait a minute, Flo. You don't know what Take you're talking... Take your hands off me, you big ape. I've been a sap for a long time, but now you're going to pay and pay plenty. How did you find out about Bonnie and me? A little bird told me. I said, how did you find out? And I said a little... You're going to be sorry for that, Larry. Very sorry. Yeah? But not as sorry as you're going to be. Your little bird didn't tell you quite enough. Sure, I've got a girl named Bonnie Shaw, and I'm nuts about her. I'm going to divorce you and marry Bonnie just as soon as possible. Really? And I got more news for you, too, baby. Just in case you think you're going to hook me. I'm broke. I've been wiped out completely. You can't get a dime out of me. That's too bad, isn't it? Yeah, it's a shame. I feel so bad about it, I'm have to bust out crying if I hang around here any longer. So get away from that door and let me out. Sure, Larry, I'll let you go. But not with Bonnie Shaw. Try and stop me. Wait, Larry. You're forgetting something, aren't you? Now look, Flo. Put that gun down. Larry, I only wanted to hand it to you. It belongs to your lawyer friend. Don't you want to give it back to him? Why, why yes. Maybe I'd better. No. On second thought... I don't think he needs it as badly as I do. You? Yes, darling. I've just thought of a wonderful use for it. Well, what are you going to do? Why, can't you guess, Larry? I'm the forgotten middle-aged wife who's been dropped without a cent. I'm going in the bedroom and blow my brains out. Oh, oh, oh don't kid me, baby. You'd never do that. You're so right, darling. I'd never, never do that. Sorry I'm late, Bonnie, but... Nice little hideaway you got here, Sullivan. Miles from the city. Woods all around. Lake out front. You couldn't have picked a sweeter love nest. Who are you? My name's Shaw. I'm Tom Shaw. Shaw? Yeah, I got a sister named Bonnie. Mean anything to you? You're Bonnie's brother? That's right. Where is she? She'll probably be along in a few minutes. Say, I don't get this. Bonnie didn't tell me you'd be here. She didn't know it. And what are you doing here? I'm telling you to stay away from Bonnie. Maybe she'll have something to say about that. Bonnie's just a kid. She doesn't know what she's doing. Now, look, Shaw. You've got the wrong idea. I'm crazy about Bonnie. We're in love. We're going to get married. No, you're wrong, Sullivan. And even if you meant it, I'd die before I'd let her throw herself away on a grafting racketeer like you. Guy who's old enough to be a father who's already married. You told my wife about Bonnie. Sure, I told her. Why, you little... My jaw. Next time, it won't be your jaw. It'll be your neck. Now, get out of here and stay out. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get out, Sullivan. But I'm coming back with a gun. Operator. I want to call New York City. What number, please? You'll have to look it up. I want to make a person-to-person call to Mike Waring, the private detective who's known as the Falcon. You know, Angel, you got the bluest eyes. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, they go so well. But... Yeah. Hand me the phone, will you? Don't answer it, Mike. Let it ring. I got to hand it to you. Oh, all right. Hello? Like that. <laughs> uh, yes? Is this Mike Waring, the Falcon? Yes, it's the Falcon speaking. Must be something wrong with this connection. For a second, I thought... Oh, never mind what you thought. Just tell me what you want. I want to hire you. Right now? Yes. Why? Are you working on something else? Uh, yes, I am. Well, then drop it. This job's important to me, and I'm willing to pay plenty if you'll come out here right away. Where are you? In my cottage at Tallow Lake. Well, it's 10.30 now. I couldn't get there much before midnight. I know that. All right, what's the job? I'm working on a very important deal at the moment, and it's absolutely necessary to keep my movement secret. I'm pretty sure that somebody's been following me this evening. I want you to find out who it is. You say money is no object, Sullivan? None at all. Okay, keep talking then. Just exactly where is this cottage of yours? Hello? Sullivan? Yes, who's this? The same guy who called you this morning. You mean about my husband? That's right. Who are you, anyway? Never mind who I am. I just found out where your husband is meeting Bonnie Shaw. Where? In the last cottage down the road on Tallow Lake. He's there now waiting for him. If you're interested in keeping him, you better go out and bring him home right away. And if I'm not interested? Well, in that case, you might drop him a farewell note. Because I have a hunch he's going on a long, long trip. It's lighter bodied. It's super fined. It's Kraft Salad Oil, the first salad oil ever offered for home use by the makers of all those wonderful Kraft prepared salad dressings. Yes, there is something new under the sun at your grocer's right now. A new salad oil, Kraft Salad Oil. The first salad oil ever offered for home use by the makers of all those wonderful Kraft prepared dressings. Wait till you try it in those wonderful salad dressings you make yourself. Those light-as-air chiffon cakes you're so proud of in all your special recipes that call for liquid shortening. For Kraft Salad Oil is more than just a new oil. It's a new kind of oil. Super fine for better blending by a special new craft process. Because it's lighter-bodied, it mixes perfectly with all ingredients, puts new magic into dressings, cooking, and baking. Don't wait. Put this new salad oil on your shopping list right now. Remember... It's lighter-bodied. It's super fine. Get Kraft Salad Oil tomorrow at your grocer's. Look for the bottles with the beautiful labels. Now, back to the adventures of the Falcon. It's an hour and a half later. Mike Waring has just stopped his car outside Larry Sullivan's secluded cottage at Tallow Lake. The light is on in the living room, but the house and countryside are strangely quiet. Mike walks up to the front door and knocks. There's no answer, no sound from inside. He opens the door and stops suddenly. Across the room with her back pressed tensely against the closed bedroom door stands a beautiful, young, very frightened blonde. 
Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. When I knocked and nobody answered, I'm I... not scared. <laughs> you better try again, Angel. It's not that cold in here. I don't understand. You're trembling. Why? I don't know. Okay, have it your way. Where's Sullivan? Larry? I don't know his first name. He called himself Sullivan and he hired me to come out here. Why? Said he needed a detective. You're a policeman? No, I'm a private detective. Hey, what's the matter with you, anyway? Where's Sullivan? He, he's not here. He's gone. He won't be back. Please, you'd better go now. Now, wait a minute, Angel. Not so fast. What's behind that closed door? It's, it's just the bedroom. Who's in there? Nobody. Nobody at all. Please. Now, don't try to kid me, Angel. If Sullivan's changed his mind about needing a detective, he's not going to brush me without getting out his checkbook. No. No, please don't open the oh. I wonder you got the shakes. What gives me the jitters? The Sullivan? Yes. With a bullet hole in the back of his head. Larry. Okay, you can cut out the act. I'm not impressed. Uh, yes, where's the gun? The gun? The gun you killed him with. It's not here. Where is it? You think I killed Larry? You just try to get rid of me. You're scared, silly, and you knew he was in there. No. No, you're wrong. I didn't shoot Larry. I just got here a few minutes ago. I found him in there. I was frightened. I didn't know what to do. Why were you tailing him tonight? I don't understand. He told me on the phone that somebody was following him. That's why he hired me. He wanted me to find out who it was. I wasn't following Larry. I came here to meet him tonight. I, I loved him. We were going to be married just as soon as his wife divorced him. You already had a wife? Yes. She killed him. She must have found out about us and come here tonight. Yeah, it's possible. She might have been the person who was following him. Of course, it must have been his wife, don't you see? Well, not yet, but a little outside help might clear it up. Where's the phone? What are you going to do? Call the police. No. No, wait. I, I mean, you've got to understand about us, about Larry and me. Yeah, sure, sure, I know. You can tell me all about it after I put in this call. No, please don't call him now, until... look, Angel, you can't pump bullets at a bald spot without letting the police in on the fun. Somehow, I don't think they'd like it at all. Bonnie Shaw, hmm? Yes, Mr. Waring. I've told you the truth. Larry and I love each, loved each other. I had no reason to kill him. Solomon told me he was working on some sort of big deal. Do you know anything about it? No, he never told me about his business. What about Sullivan's wife? Did you know that... What's the matter? Just heard somebody out on the porch. Keep talking, Angel. I'm sure she must have found out about us. What is... You're looking for somebody? Oh, what are you doing here? You know this fellow? Oh, yeah, of course I know him. He's my brother. Bonnie, you've got to listen to reason. Come home with me. You can't throw yourself away on a no-good racketeer like Sullivan. Tom, you hurt. What happened to your jaw? I came here earlier tonight to talk to Sullivan, but he couldn't see things my way. We had a fight and he hit me. Is that why you shot him? Why, wait a minute, what's going on here? Who are you? A lot of people call me the Falcon. But Bonnie, what's happened? Where's Sullivan? He's lying in there on the bedroom floor with a bullet hole in the back of his head. He's dead? Definitely. Let go of me. What's the idea? I just wanted to see if you had a gun. What, are you satisfied? Well, no, you could have thrown it away out there in the woods. You think I killed Sullivan? You said you had a fight with him tonight. Yes, we had a fight, but I didn't kill him. I was plenty sore when he threw me out, but I cooled off after I called his wife. You called Sullivan's wife tonight? Yes. Why, you contemptible little... All right, little... take it easy, Angel. I did it for your own good, Bonnie. 
And Sullivan's wife did know about him and Bonnie. Of course she knew. Wait a minute, maybe she did. Of course she did it. Why did you come back here, Shaw? Well, after I called Sullivan's wife, I got to thinking. I, I thought that if she came out here, maybe the two of us could break this up. Oh, sure. The police are going to love that story. Did you call the cops? Yes, of course. They'll be here any minute. I'm now. getting out. They're not going to find me not here. So Get out of my oh, way! You knocked him out. Yes, well, he'll get over it. And it might jar him into telling the truth when the police wake him up for a chat. Then my husband took the gun away from Mr. Garden and told him to get out. Did you tell the police about that? Well, certainly I told them. They seemed to think that Tom Shaw was the killer. Of course, they said they'd question Mr. Garland this morning. Did you leave this apartment last night, after your husband went out? Why, no. Could you prove that? I don't think so. Why? What are you driving at, Mr. Waring? Your husband was running around with another woman, and you had just found it out. Do you think I killed Larry? Your motive was even better than the others. Oh, that's ridiculous. I, I couldn't kill anybody. Well, you seem to be taking your husband's death pretty calmly. No tear-stained handkerchiefs or swollen eyes. Why should I pretend... He meant nothing to me anymore. I didn't even mind the fact that he had this girl, Bonnie Shaw. You weren't jealous? Certainly not. I knew he was going to leave me, but I didn't care at all. I'll be honest with you, Mr. Waring. If I could have gotten money from Larry, I might have tried to hang on to him. Or at least make him pay plenty to get rid of me. But he was wiped out. He didn't have a dime. Your husband was broke? Yes. He told me so last night, just before he went out. So you see, he was of no more use to me. I actually was glad he was going to leave me, but I certainly had no reason to kill him. I see. Oh, excuse me. Yes, of course. Mr. Gold. Oh, forgive me for calling so early in the morning, Mrs. Sullivan. I wanted to see Larry before he went out. I'm sorry about that trouble we had last night, and I want to apologize. You, you don't know about... Uh, is this the business manager you were telling me about? Yes, this is Mr. Garland. Well, what's wrong, Mrs. Sullivan? Where's Larry? He was murdered last night. Larry's dead? Yes. Why, well, that's terrible. I had no idea. Did you read the morning papers? No, no. You see, I was upset about that quarrel last night, and I wanted to hurry over here as fast as possible. That quarrel last night gives you a pretty swell motive, darling. I, I didn't even know about the murder. Yeah, well, you could be lying about that. No, I'm not lying. But you did threaten him. Well, I was only bluffing. He owed me money, and I wanted it. I swear I didn't shoot Larry. I couldn't have done it. They took my gun away from me. He's still here. There are other guns. Well, I tell you, I didn't do it. Tell me about this money you say Sullivan owed you. Well, I, I did some financial work for him, and I felt he owed me a much larger fee than he was willing to pay. Naturally, that made me angry, and I guess I lost my head. I had the gun in my pocket. Why? And I, well, I always carry it. I have a license for it. There are certain people who have threatened me from time to time. Okay, so I, okay. So you pulled the gun on Sullivan. Yes, yes. I, I, I thought I might frighten him into paying me what I wanted. It did frighten him, and he told me the truth. The truth? Yes, he was broke. He literally couldn't pay me. At first, I didn't believe him, but he finally convinced me that he was telling the truth when Mrs. Sullivan came in unexpectedly and, and gave him the chance to grab the gun. Did uh, Bonnie Shaw know that Sullivan was broke? Well, who was she? Well, didn't you know Sullivan had a young girlfriend? No, no I had no idea. I, I mean, I only knew him professionally. He never discussed his personal life with me. Mr. Waring, isn't it just possible that... That Bonnie Shaw killed your husband? Yes. That's why I wondered if she knew Sullivan was broke. He might have been stringing her along, telling her he was rich, and last night she may have found out the truth. 
Hello, Mike. What? What are you doing in my apartment, Bonnie? Mike, I've been trying to find you all morning. <laughs> you don't waste much time, do you, Angel? It was Mr. Waring last night. Oh, I... I'm sorry. It just slipped out. Uh-huh. Well, make it a habit, huh? I like the intimate touch. You look tired. Yeah, I know. Working for nothing always wears me out. I don't understand. I've been using my talents out of pure curiosity this morning. Sullivan hired me last night, but he didn't pay me any money. Then maybe you let me hire you. You? Yes, Mike. You've got to help Tom. Have they arrested him? Not yet, but they, they held him for questioning all night. He denies the murder, so they had to let him go this morning because of lack of evidence. But I want to hire you to find the real murderer. Are you sure about that? Of course. Please, Mike, please let me hire you to clear Tom. I cost money, you know. I don't have very much, but I'll, well, I'll try. That mink coat you're wearing doesn't exactly look like a ticket to the poorhouse. <laughs> don't let this coat fool you. I didn't pay for it. Larry gave it to me as a present. Sullivan gave you that coat? Yes. When? About a week ago. Why, what's wrong? Sullivan claimed he was broke. But that's ridiculous. He had lots of money. In fact, he told me he just made a tremendous killing in some sort of business deal, and that's why we... That's why you what? No, no not nothing. It... Now, now, come clean, Angel. If you want my help, you've got to tell me the truth. All right, Mike. I'll tell you the truth. Larry wasn't broke, I know. We... You see, we weren't going to wait for his divorce. We were going to South America together. In fact, he already had the steamer tickets. And a stack of money in cash? Yes. You know where that money is? No, Mike, I don't. I swear I don't. You wouldn't lie to me, would you, Angel? No, Mike, I wouldn't lie to you. I couldn't, you know that, darling. <laughs> well, that's a nice try, but you'd have to do better than that. All right, wrap that mink around your lovely shoulders... We're going treasure hunting. Where to? Out to Sullivan's Cottage on Tallow Lake. Miracle Whip. Has a flavor so pleasing. Miracle Whip. Tastes so lively, so teasing. Miracle Whip. Only one of its kind. Miracle Whip. Best salad dressing you'll find. Miracle Whip is the only one of its kind. Because it's a different type of salad dressing made from a secret craft recipe. Miracle Whip combines the best qualities of old-fashioned boiled dressing and fine mayonnaise. So it's truly distinctive and delicious. With a flavor millions of folks call just exactly right. Try it, won't you? One taste will tell you why it's America's favorite salad dressing. The one and only Miracle Whip. <laughs> Now, back to the adventures of the Falcon. An hour has passed since Mike set out for Tallow Lake with Bonnie Shaw. Now they've arrived. Mike, look. Yeah, it looks like a cyclone hit the place. Well, I'm not surprised. The murderer was here searching for the money. Yes, of course. And he's beaten us to it. He must have found it if Larry had it hidden here. Now, don't be too sure about that, Angel. You don't think the money was here? Oh, yes, I'm sure it was here. And I think it still is. But why? Well, look at this room. Everything is torn up, drawers are empty, pillows slashed, rugs thrown back. Nothing's been overlooked. I don't understand. Well, it's simple, Angel. If the place was only partly torn up, it might mean the killer had found the money. But everything in here has been gone over carefully, and more than once. That means he hasn't found it yet. Then Mikey may still be here. Maybe we interrupted him. Yes, maybe, but I've got another idea I like a lot better. What? 
The murderer knew about the money, but didn't get a chance to search for it last night after killing Sullivan. So this morning early, the killer came back out here, went over the cottage, but couldn't find the money. So the murderer got the bright idea of hiring me, a detective, to help find the missing cash. Mike, you don't think that well, after I... After all, Angel, you knew about the money and the others didn't. Oh, Mike, the others could have known. Even Tom could have known about it. Yeah, sure, but I don't... <gasps> oh, down on the floor, quick! What happened? Well, guess I owe you an apology, Angel. We did interrupt the murderer and he just tried to kill me. And he's out there in the woods. He may try to come oh, up hold here. Hold it. What is it? Listen. Car. Yeah, he must have hidden it in the woods. He missed once and decided not to try again, so... Oh. What's the matter? <laughs> look over there on the floor. The wall mirror. The bullet smashed it. Yes, and look what was hidden behind the glass. An envelope. Uh-huh. An envelope. And full of thousand-dollar bills. Larry's money. <laughs> oh, brother, that's irony for you. The murderer couldn't find it, but his bullet did. He's not a very good shot. <laughs> Wait a minute. Shot. What? Thanks, Angel. You just told me something I should have known three hours ago. What do you mean? The murderer. I know who it is now. Who, Mike? Sullivan's lawyer, Arthur Garland. Well, would you like a drink now? Not until you tell me how you knew Garland was the killer. Well, now that the police have caught up with him, I guess I can. You see, Garland made one little slip. A slip that I didn't recognize until you mentioned the word shot. Then it clicked suddenly. What? Well, you see, when I talked to Garland this morning, he claimed he didn't even know about the murder. Yes. Well, neither Mrs. Sullivan nor I told him any of the details, yet he knew Sullivan had been shot. He said, I swear I didn't shoot Larry. Well, Sullivan might have been stabbed, poisoned, or bashed over the head for all he knew. How else would Garland have known Sullivan had been shot unless he himself had done the shooting? Mike, you're wonderful. <laughs> I'd never have thought of that. Well, you're not a detective, Angel. No. But I might like to be a detective's wife. All right, swell. I know a couple of boys in the force who'd love a wife like you. <laughs> okay, Mike, you win. <laughs> but you can't blame me for trying, can you? No, not me. I like persistent women. Oh, good. I'll have that drink now. Okay, then I promise to try again. Do you like rich, delicious chocolate-flavored malteds? Well, you can make a malted just like that right in your own kitchen with Kraft chocolate-flavored malted milk. Just make a tasty paste of Kraft chocolate-flavored malted milk and a little milk in the bottom of a big glass. Fill the glass with chilled milk Stir it once more, and there. A craft malted is mighty nourishing, too, because it's filled with all the food values in milk. Get a jar of craft chocolate-flavored malted milk from your grocer and enjoy a craft malted often. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's The Falcon from November 5th, 1950, The Case of the Rich Racketeur. And that was uh, starring Les Damon. Also in that cast, you heard Ed Herlihy. Good old, uh, good old me, Ed Herlihy, was the announcer. Drexel Drake created that show. November 5th, 1950 is heard on NBC, sponsored by Kraft. 
And weren't you, uh, didn't you uh, have something to do with Kraft? I sure did. What did you have to do with Kraft? <laughs> Philadelphia brand cream cheese right. or something? Right. I worked at J. Walter Thompson, and we were the what ad year, agency. What year was this? Do you remember? About uh, 1932, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so you worked on this radio show then? Exactly. Huh? No, really, what year were you working um, at Kraft? In the 90s. Did you work for Kraft? No, no you worked I for... worked for J. Walter Thompson. We were right the ad agency. Right here in Chicago, J. Walter yeah, Thompson. Yeah, we were the ad agency that Kraft hired to right. do their And how ads. did you get the Kraft Philadelphia brand cream cheese account because you're such a cheese lover well no not exactly i went to grad school got a master's degree in advertising (laughs) first then got a job at j walter thompson then they assigned me to craft philadelphia cream cheese. did you have anything else before craft of craft like what other that's where i started and that's where i ended philadelphia brand cream cheese i did i started and ended right there (laughs) was it kind of cheesy uh, no it it, it really wasn't (laughs) can't (laughs) say that it was did you work there about a year. That's it? Yeah. You didn't like it, huh? Um, well, I liked craft and the well, products. of course, but I mean... But um, I moved on from that where advertising did you go agency. From there? I went to a different ad agency. Really? And what did you do there? I worked on NutraSuite. Oh, really? That was my product. Wow. So you were uh, working for um, cheese and then for uh, a Artificial sweetener. Artificial sweetener. That's correct. Wow, Lisa. Wow. See, everybody has a past, Carl. Well, at least, you know what? You uh, you went to school and learned yes. all about advertising, and I then sure you did. put it to work, right? I, I you put still, it to work every day. You still do, here. right? You're still working I've been in... writing ads uh, just writes... this week for a new... I We're, we're going to have a new sponsor soon. That's so. right. Can't wait to talk about yep, that. Next that'll week. be That'll be very, very cool. All right, let's take a quick break. Then it's more here on the WGN Radio Theater. Well, Lisa, from the clock on the studio wall, almost time to say goodbye. But, uh, you know, I get this all the time. People are saying, hey, if I, if I miss your show... How do I hear it? There's like a podcast of this show almost we immediately. We could just right? recreate the whole show for no, each person who missed take it. Too long. No, okay. Podcast. What's the best way to hear the podcast? I would go to wgnradio.com. Yeah. And uh, you can go right to our show, which is WGN Radio Theater, and you can find the podcast. Yeah, and it's also up, I think, on iTunes and other places, it's too. Also it's posted, like all over the place. I also post it on our Facebook page um, on WGN Radio Theater and on the WGN Radio Facebook page as well. You know, we have one of the greatest producers in all of radio, Shante Garth, and she puts the podcast up almost like immediately. As soon right. as we're off the air, exactly, it's like boom shakalaka. It's posted. I've said boom shakalaka at least you've two or three times. Said it a few times. Said it a few times. You sent it an email bo- this week. I actually too. <laughs> sent Lisa an email. It's just, that that's said, all it said. It just said boom shakalaka. <laughs> that's your new buzzword. What this is week? the deal with that? You just get something in your head and just keep doing it over yeah, and over. Yeah, well, you just keep saying it, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> What's on next week when we come uh, here next at ten week, o'clock? We've got a full five-hour show. We're going to start with Rocky Fortune. Yeah, Frank Sinatra starring in that. That's a great show. So we've got the great Gildersleeve, so your brother will be happy. We have Hallmark Playhouse, yeah. which we don't play too often. Nope. And we have a one-hour episode of the Ford Theater. And you know who stars in that Ford Theater broadcast? I don't remember. Jack Benny. Oh, great You one. are going to I, love yes, it. Yes, I will. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks to Mike Costella, our executive producer. Thanks to Shantae Garth, our producer here. And uh, most importantly, though, thank you out there in Radio Land for listening. Lisa and I will be back next week, 10 p.m. here for the WGN Radio Theater. We'll see you then.